This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Benzinga Live. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Um, I've got the S&P 500, the SPY, pulled up right here because we are just about trying to go green. We just went green, Aaron, I think. We, we, we went green briefly, went back in the red. We're trying to go back in the green. You can see we're down um, just seven one-hundredths of a percent right now, six one-hundredths now. So, yeah, I mean, crazy turnaround of the day. We've been, we've been saying it the past couple of weeks. We've had these crazy turnarounds. I, I don't think we can expect anything else right now. I don't know what to think. I only know what the charts say. Um, it is remarkable. Um, this morning was basically deja vu from Thursday and Friday. Yeah, and um, markets opened, what, like 2% lower, one and a half, two 2% lower overnight. The futures markets traded down all night, and then the morning comes, and we just rebound, and we buy the dip. So the SPY is flat. The NASDAQ is green. Again, tech stocks leading the way. Um, so so Bitcoin is up because tech is up, right? I mean, well, I, I mean, actually, I don't I don't think that's a fair assessment because I was watching Bitcoin before the market opened, and Bitcoin started ripping about nine a.m. Eastern before the market opened. And if you looked at futures, there was actually a a disparity there. I mean, the, the Nasdaq was still set to open about one and a half two percent lower, even as Bitcoin was ripping into the open. So Bitcoin really. Um, kind of ran first and now i, I feel like tech's kind of falling well here. i mean here let me uh, i'll bring up my my screen i i see your point that the markets were were going to open low open lower here let's just bring up my my pro for yep. a second so the, so this so this is the cues you know my proxy for tech um and then just out of curiosity let's just let's just see where if 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 you're right here so here's the bitcoin chart um nope no bitcoin chart let's try it again Bitcoin. All right. Weird. Bitcoin dollar. Okay. Not showing up. All right. But the point is, so really from from 4 a.m. onward, you know, the, the queues were trading higher. So if we pull up a Bitcoin chart up here. Oh, wait. You have a Bitcoin chart up, don't you? I do. All right, it may be better to bring yours up because for whatever reason, my my charts are having a seizure right now. So let's go to yours. All right, so, go to okay. mine real quick. Okay, so is that a – what is that, a 15-minute? No. Sorry, I'm just trying to make my watermark a little less. There we go. Um, This is a daily chart on can you, Bitcoin. Can, can you zoom in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I've got my charts back. That's so bizarre. Um. So – the Bitcoin chart. Now my Bitcoin chart is weird. So all right, your your chart is saying. What do you want? You want to look at? It I, daily? I I I just want to look at this morning. I'm like Bitcoin. Okay, this so morning. let's go to a ten minute. Let's go to a ten minute chart. Let's want to see like this morning, and how it compares to the queues. Because right now they're all green. Everything is green. If you're tech, you're green. Is that? I can't. Even, 
And we, we, by the way, we will talk about a lot more than just this today. I promise. We have a lot to get to. I want to talk about. This isn't. I want to talk about the Berkshire Hathaway letter. Um. All right. Here's. Do I need to refresh my? I, my charts are being weird too because this, this does not look right. Yeah. No. That's what I'm saying. The charts are acting funky. They were good for me all morning. I'm gonna come on this show. Maybe it's my computer, or I don't know. Um, no, it's just not showing. I mean, all right, whatever. The bottom line here is that tech is up. That's the that's the takeaway, right? Crypto is up. Crypto trades with tech. They're both up. Bottom line. Um, gosh, you know, I I I don't know why that is. It just it is. I mean, and if you look at what's leading here, Aaron, you you want to bring up some solar stocks? Solar is ripping today. Did you see that? Yeah, I have my uh, my, my favorite run. Yeah. Up yeah. about 10% today. That was my 20. Last time we checked the 2022 stock of the year, I was in dead last. I would not venture any, to say anymore, I'm not last anymore. We should go ahead and pull that up at some point. But yeah, let us know in the chat what you guys are watching. Here, I'll pull up my... Um, let me see if, if it's all my charts are being funky or just... Uh, it's just I think it's just the Bitcoin chart. Just the Bitcoin one? Um. So Sunrun is Aaron's favorite, but you can look at First Solar. You can look at Solar Edge. You can look at Enphase, Jinko Solar. All these stocks ripping here today. Um, I, and again, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't know why. Well, maybe, you know, actually, it's weird. I, I, I do know, I do have a theory as to why Solar is up. Um, one, solar is a growth asset class, a growth industry. So if if tech will trade higher, solar will trade higher too because it's it's all growth. But two, and th- and this is where it gets a little bit contradictory. Solar is obviously a hedge uh, away from oil, right? Right. Away from reliance on oil. So if if people are th- are positing, oh, we should get away from oil, get away from you know. Uh, it, we want to hit Russia where it's hurt, where it hurts. We get away from oil. We we move to solar, so so solar trades higher off of maybe that type of a a uh, logical leap. But if you look at oil today, like look at the XLE, it's also trading higher. So like I I don't know, oil and solar are both green. Yeah, I don't know how much of of solar trading higher uh, can be kind of um, attributed to to the fact that we are going to eventually try to pivot away from oil, take that reliance off of Russia, take that reliance off of countries, um, wherever they may be, or just the fact that interest rates are are set to stay lower, which will then spur more investments into uh, that field. Just in general, I don't know. Interest rates are not going to stay lower. We just don't know how high they're going to go. But they're going to they, uh, will they go up one notch or five notches? Is is the question? Well, I think from from my understanding, from most experts in the energy field, it, our our best bet in the short term, if we wanted to get away from oil and, and uh, you know reliance on natural gas and oil and fossil fuels, would be nuclear. Um, just because okay. it's right now, we're closer with nuclear to be able to use that to power, um, you know, the majority of our of uh, our uses versus solar, which is still years down the road. I saw that MD. I watched sixty minutes last night. Oh, uh, that they had a. Uh, there was a. Did they have Ted Koppel on? They, they, there was a whole story on uh, how vulnerable the electrical grid is in the U.S. And then there was another story about. The um the death of newspapers via hedge funds or one hedge fund in particular, 
Um, yeah, if you're interested in that topic, there's a book by Ted Kappel, who is a, a journalist, yeah. uh, called Lights Out. And it's all about that. It's literally all about how... If you want to scare yourself. Sometimes but he wrote that like five years ago. And I, I read it and thought like, oh my God, this is like a big problem that no one's talking about. All of our country's electricity grids are on like three grids or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the energy trade, that's going to be the most uh, tradable asset or, or tradable industry, I think, throughout this whole thing is energy, whether it's oil, whether it's solar, whether it's nuclear. And I don't know, are there any good uh, nuclear energy plays wait before you before you ask that i'm, I'm having a huge brain fart right now uh-huh what is the ticker for the solar e- oh tan. tan i could not yeah I, I spent i just spent the last 30 seconds thinking about that and i couldn't, couldn't so tan's up eight and a half percent today uh you asked if there are nuclear stocks nuclear yeah uh probably sure uh easy way to find it is to just google nuclear stocks is what i do low key yeah oh yeah ccl I've, CCL's Carnival Cruise Lines. No, not CCL. What's the other? What? What, what is it? Uh, 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 Cameco, right? What's the ticker on that? It's um, not CCL. Sorry. CCJ. CCJ. Thank you. I was off by a letter. Is it nuclear play? Yeah. Oh, engages in the provision of uranium. Yeah, up six percent today. So you can, you can go the U's, right? U U U U. Right. Is another one. Charts look identical. You can go U U U U as well. No, U no, U no, is. No, that's not nuclear. You, 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 you? Yes, it is. It says, I'm reading the description right now. Cons- uh, designs, markets, a variety of safety products consisting primarily of smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, and related four products. Four U's or three U's? Three U's. No, four U's. Uh, okay. Yeah. Energy fuels. Yep. Got it. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, maybe you're right. I mean, the, the market is agreeing with you. Clearly, we're a little bit late to this trade. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just from what I understand. And, and it's all about risk reward, right? Nu- nuclear energy out okay. of all the clean energy solutions has the biggest risks. But, um, you know, if you weigh the risks and rewards and decide that this is a way that we can um, efficiently and in a, in a tangible way provide energy for the large portion of the country without fossil fuels, and then you try to mitigate that risk of nuclear disasters, they yeah. might decide it's worth it. Who knows? And actually, I was surprised. So there's a, a, a nuclear plant in Illinois mm-hmm. near St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I was staying at my buddy's house who lives uh, in that neighborhood. And I guess there's been a lot of, like, I think they're either they're planning on closing it down or there's talks of closing it down. And literally, like, 80% of the yards in his neighborhood had yard signs saying they wanted to keep the nuclear energy plant there. That's um, interesting. I guess it has like really good jobs, high pay, and a lot of people would lose their jobs. Interesting. Yeah, I admit to have a pretty for, a poor feel for what the general sentiment is out there with regards to nuclear power. I know there are some people that are radically against it and radically for it. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know where I stand. I don't know enough about it to have an opinion, honestly. But, um, yeah. So I, from what I understand, I think if done properly, it's a very good option. Okay. The problem is sounds right. The problem is it, it if it goes wrong, there's catastrophic fallout. Obviously, um, I also want to talk about the cybersecurity trade. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I was going to say with regards to this the, that the cyber trade is um, that was one of your best trades of the week last week. It is it, it's it's cooled off a little bit here this morning. I don't I'm know. Looking, Fortinet's up five percent right now. I'm looking at your I'm looking at just your your sectors your your industries and 
Uh, uranium and solar are your top two performing uh, industries of the day here. Um, how, how is the cyber trade doing? Because all those names ripped last week. Uh, FTNT, that's my favorite in this Fortnite. space. Up 5%. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's think having about a good week. Yeah. Uh, so, someone in the chat just said Toyota got hacked today. Um, NVIDIA got hacked. And, NVIDIA the, got hacked. Yeah. One of the biggest logistics company in the world got hacked last week. Um, the yep. uh, We just talked about, if you know, we need strong cybersecurity to protect the energy grids in the country. Yeah, I think this is a... I don't think this trade is over. No, and I... I owned, uh, just so you all know, I own the, um, make sure I have the, the, the CIBR, the NASDAQ cybersecurity ETF. It, that, that, that's what I've got, which holds all this stuff, right? So I've got exposure and I don't intend to sell that, frankly, ever. Um, but yes, the cyber trade was super hot last week. From like a Palo Alto. Why is Fortnite your favorite? Out of curiosity, I, I, I don't know enough about the reason I like the CIBR is because, wow, look at that Palo Alto! Holy crap! Um, I we, like so so honestly, and I'm not. I, I don't claim to be an expert in this yeah. space or really any space, but um, once during COVID, right? This was another time where the cybersecurity trade just made sense because everything was going online. Companies were, you know, moving everything online. There was going to be more companies that were willing to spend money on protecting their assets that they were, uh, you know, while working remotely. And Fortinet was just one that I traded during COVID. And if you pull up Fortinet's chart, again, the ticker's FTNT, and just look at like a daily throughout that, I mean, it was just such a good run that I don't, I mean, I don't know how you argue with that. You're talking about from COVID? Yeah, from like those COVID lows up to... Nah, not really. I mean, they went from... What seventy to what? So it doubled in in like two months. No, no, I'm talking about from after. I'm talking about from. Oh, here. Yeah, that run right. So there. this is November 2020. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, huge run. Yeah, this thing went from a hundred to three hundred, three to no to to three seventy. And it outperformed. I mean, to me, in in the space that was doing really well, for it to outperform. I mean, you look at the year return. It, it's a hundred percent return on FTNT right now. You look at cyber. It's a uh, 16% return over the past year. Yep. Someone in the chat asked about uh, IronNet, I-R-N-T. Um, so a, a few thoughts on that. I do think the overall markets are kind of giving some up right here. A, a, a few thoughts on this. I can't speak to this business, okay? I don't know anything about IronNet a, as a business. But IronNet technically counts as a cybersecurity play. That's the, that's the sandbox that they play in. But comparing IronNet to the stocks we just discussed, Fortinet, Palo Alto, even like a, a, a Mandiant or a um, uh, um, Z, uh, Zscaler uh, or a Cloudflare, it's apples to oranges, okay, for many reasons. First off, IronNet is a $500 million company, which in the grand scheme of things is actually pretty small. It makes it a small cap. Okay, this, the stocks, the companies that we just talked about, Palo Alto is a $56 billion company. Fortinet is a $53 billion company. So we're, we're talking about companies with market caps in the $50 billion range compared to IronNet, which is a $500 million company. So it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's such a small company in the grand scheme of things. That's the first thing. The second thing is... 
the shares outstanding of this thing, 88 million shares outstanding. That's not a lot of shares. It really isn't. Okay, so the smoke, the float's going to be way, way less than that. Uh, and what that means is, it's, it's easier to not that the stock necessarily has to be or is manipulated, but it is easier to manipulate a stock with a smaller float like Ironnet has. The third thing is, as the chat noted, uh, there was a short report out on this stock on Friday by uh, White White Diamond, right? Is that what it was? I think it's White Diamond Research, and they gave it a fifty cent price target now i have not read this report i don't know what it says but 50 cent price target is pretty dramatic um and the fourth thing i would say is just look at the chart okay again is iron a good business i have no idea is it a good stock absolutely not stocks that go from 57 to four are not good sorry they're just not this is a I know this is like a social media darling in, in a lot of ways. This is not the the horse you want to get behind. If if cybersecurity really is what you're focused on, focus on a on a stock that 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 is thicker, that has real liquidity, that didn't go from 47 to four, right? Focus on one of the big guys. There was like 15 major cybersecurity stocks out there. Focus on one of those. Don't focus on the iron net because this chart, I mean, just, just look at it. It, it. it just reeks of, of, I don't want to say manipulation because I, I don't know the intent, but come on, you got these random days here where the stock trades, you know, 10 times as normal volume. It just, it, it, it doesn't, it's not healthy. This is not normal. It's not normal. Okay. Yeah. And my thoughts on this would be, I think there are some industries where you actually want to it, 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 it's, a, it's a good idea to try to find some of the companies that are smaller that are going to grow in and grab other companies' market shares. But in an industry like this, and I don't know exactly what IronNet does. Me but, neither. But assuming they're a competitor, just a cybersecurity play, that they're trying to get clients um, and, and they'll you know, do, do company cybersecurity for them. If you're a company, why would you, you want to go with IronNet over a company like Fortnet or over a, or over a company like Palo Alto that's more established? Right. If I'm paying someone to protect my assets that are online or my accounts, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay the best of the best. So to me, this isn't an yep. industry to try to pick one that is is like a small dog trying to take more of the market share. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, all right. So let's move away from that for a second and let's let's preview the rest of today's show. We are going to talk about the Warren Buffett, the, Warren, the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter. I read it twice. I have thoughts. I have takeaways. We are going to have our first guest of the day on in like six minutes from now. It's going to be a good one. We're going to talk to Sean Richards from uh, – he's an independent economist. His website is not a yes man economics. That's, his, that's his, uh, his, his website. And Sean has thoughts on the economic um, implications of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. He has thoughts on inflation. We will get his thoughts on that. We're going to have Matt Hammond on the show for the first time in, in a few weeks now uh, to talk IPOs. Uh, but also, I just want to know about his experience. Matt Hammond, if those wondering, is out of Ukraine now with his family. He is safe. And we'll get him on the show at 1215 to talk about um, all of that and more. We're going to have Jake Wojcik, uh from Trendspotter on at 1 and Chris Capri from the Benzinga Options Trading School on at 1.30. That's the show. 
uh, for Ooh. for for today. Packed Monday. Go ahead uh, and smash the like if you guys have not already. A lot to get to. Um, should we touch on Warren Buffett real quick before our first guest? Um, yeah, yes, yes. All right. L- so you said you read it twice. Yep. Um, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter is released annually. Obviously, it's once a year. Um, not to be confused with the Berkshire annual shareholder meeting. No, this is the this is the precursor to that. So the annual shareholder meeting is is two mo- I think two months from today. And you're going to that, correct? I don't know, man. I <laughs> I really don't know. I I have I have I have email notifications set for the flights because the flight situation is 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 fluid. Um, I'm putting the link in the chat if you don't know what I'm talking about to the the, the actual letter itself. Um, honestly, everyone should read this. Warren Buffett is one of the best commu- financial communicators of all time. He explains things in in simple English, in plain English, and he's just such a folksy guy. He's just so folksy. Everything to him is he makes it seem so obvious, like duh. Uh anyway, I I, I have some thoughts on, on the letter. So I'm gonna bring up a, a chart of um of Berkshire Hathaway as I talk about this. So the first thing I want to point out is if you open up the letter, it the first page just shows Berkshire Hathaway's annual returns compared to the S&P 500. And, you know, why don't I just pull up the letter? That's that, that's better. I'll pull up the letter, and we can all go through this together at the same time. So I saw that, and how does that work? Is that assuming you reinvest your, like, dividends from Berkshire? Does Berkshire offer a dividend? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 taking dividends from both. So it, it, assuming you reinvested, it's a total return thing. Assuming you reinvested your dividends from uh Berkshire Hathaway and also with the S&P 500. So uh, where is my link to the – here we go. Okay. Make it bigger so you all can see what I'm looking at. Boom, annual letter right there on the screen. So the first thing I want to say is bottom of page two here. Berkshire Hathaway's annual return since 1965, the, 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 uh, the average amount it's gained per year, has been double – the S&P 500. If you bought the S&P 500 in 1965, uh, you have gained an average of 10% per year. 10.5% What do the year. numbers in the parentheses mean? That means it was a loss. Oh. Right. Uh, so since... Wait, since, he was down 31... Oh, that was 08. Oh, yeah. That was, okay. Yeah, that, that was a great, great recession. So anyway, so if you don't know like why people worship Warren Buffett, this is why. Because since 1964, he... Berkshire Hathaway has increased in value three million, three point six million percent versus a thirty thousand percent gain in the S and P. He has doubled the performance per year on average of the S and P five hundred. It just makes him a freaking beast. The other thing I, I was looking at is I was trying to find okay, when were his worst years? Not not in terms of return, but in terms of the uh, compared to the S and P five hundred. Okay, Warren Buffett. Going back to uh, his um, to when he bought Berkshire Hathaway in 1965, Warren Buffett has underperformed the S&P 500 for three straight years only one time. He has the S&P has beaten Warren Buffett three years in a row one time since 1965, and that one time it was actually four years in a row it happened from 2002. To two thousand and uh, what five? 
this period. This is the only period of time. This, this period right here is 02 to 06, right? Well, I only see it three years in a row there. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. It's 03. Yeah, uh, that's sorry. I can't read. Uh, 03 to 05, right, was the only period where Warren Buffett did not do better than the overall market for three straight years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. Every other period of underperformance of Buffett versus the S&P, it was, uh, he, he was... Uh, well, you can see some recent significant underperformance in uh, 2019, yeah. 2020. I mean, the Yeah, S&P. but it, it, it's one year or it's two years. He always gets, eventually comes right. back. So, well, what I was going to say was this year, he's actually caught, if you look at the SPY chart with the Burke B chart since COVID hit yep. for um, almost two years, the S&P 500 had way outperformed him. But with this recent, uh, you know, kind of inflow back to value, yep. Burke B has actually surpassed uh, oh, I should know that this these data is as of the end of last year. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't include this year. Um, but how amazing is that? To, to beat the overall market um, with the consistency that he does, is it, it is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. So those are my first two takeaways here from, from the, the letter is just his consistency over time over the last like sixty years is is second to none, and that's what makes him that's what makes him the goat. Or as Happy says, he's the Kobe Bryant of uh, of investing, and that's totally that's totally true. He's the Kobe Bryant plus the Michael Jordan plus everything. He's he's the goat. Um, I have more takeaways, but I want to save them for after our guest here because our guest is here right now. First guest of the day, as I said, Sean Richards is uh, a freelance economist. He runs uh, not a yes man economics and. I, he has thoughts, as I said, on this whole geopolitical mess we find ourselves in. So let's give Sean the special intro and get him on the show right now. Where's our... Sean, welcome to Benzinga Live. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And by the way, I saw the last bit, and it's Michael Jordan for me. Well, tomato, tomato. Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Um, okay, Sean, um, let, let's just get your overall thoughts here on where thing. There's a lot of balls in the air, right? There is Russia and Ukraine. There is inflation. There is central bank policy here. But I want to start with the Russia-Ukraine situation. What are the potential economic implications of what is happening right now over there? Well, in my opinion, what they're bringing is more of what we've got already. So, for example, you're seeing inflation in the US. We have it here in the UK. It's around Europe. It's everywhere you look. What have we got now? Higher oil prices, higher gas prices. A difference for us over here in Europe to yourselves there is that the domestic energy price situation is much, much worse. It's all across Europe, prices are higher. So what is that driving? What used to be called stagflation. You both look too young to me to remember the periods whereby we really suffered from this. Yes. But we are in a phase whereby it's coming back again. And so economies are grinding down. Why are they grinding down? Why do I think that'll be worse? 
Well, the thing is, with the inflation, wages are unlikely to keep up. So as we go through 2022, we'll see that inflation drags the economy back as well. So I'm sorry it's not a nice message, but that's where we are at the moment. So just to be clear, you do think that stagflation is is going to happen? Yes. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, well, no, now, well, no, it's now, a problem. Well, well, that opinion, though, is not shared by by every. I mean, no opinion in the world of economics is shared by everyone. But um, what that th- that opinion is certainly not the majority, though. So, what do you say to the counter argument that um, there won't be stagflation? That that uh, inflation, while elevated, um, a may it may not persist, and b that the economy will will not contract. Uh, well, I never said it would contract, but going back to, if we start with the inflation point, um, this was what everyone was saying in 2021, wasn't it? Or at least the central bankers, it was going to be transitory. Yes. It wasn't going to persist. You see, the other feature of these phases of time, it lasts for longer than you think. And we see a rolling through of areas where it applies. For example, looking at the US inflation numbers, one of the things that people are expecting to pick up is rent. Now, that's a very big part of how inflation is measured in the US. And your CPI shelters something like 32%. Similar trends here. So we see a rolling through one area to ever. So we've seen energy. We've seen oil prices, for example, go higher with the Ukraine-Russia issue as well. So there's always extra pushes keeping it coming. So that's my argument on that side. For the actual um, economic growth, I never said an actual... traction, although some places are seeing it, what I mean is that we'll see slow growth, uh, not the sort of growth that we hope for. Looking at, say, the US, you had a good end to last year. This year, the beginning of, not looking so good. So I guess I should have clarified, because stagflation just means that you have um, uh, inflation with a slowing economy. It doesn't mean the economy necessarily has to shrink. It just means it has to grow more slowly. Um, now what, what is what, let's just pretend you're right here for a minute. What, what is the solution? What is our way out of that? Cause you can only fight one battle at a time. Well, yes. And part of fighting the battle was something that should have been done last year because you're seeing the federal reserve talking about raising interest rates in March. Bank of England has already had one go expected to have some more, but, but that takes time to act. So when they were last year saying it was going to be transitory, to my point, they were putting their head in the sand because these things, you've got to get ahead of the game rather than then trying to chase it as they are now. And here's maybe a piece of good news for you. I'm not expecting the interest rate rises that others are because I think that as we go through the year, they'll see inflation, they'll see a slowing in the economy and they'll think, hmm, and stop. So if, if you were the czar of all the central, the world central banks right now, what would you do? What would I have done? I would have raised interest rates already. In okay. terms of what I'm doing well, now, we'd get, we'd get some more. And then I'd wait and see. How, how much more? Like from zero, how much more? Uh, well, that's, that's a really good question, actually. I think the starting point, if you're a central banker, would be to try and get interest rates up to 
you'll notice I said try because I don't think it's going to be very easy. Not easy because you, what you can only really go a quarter to a half point at a time, or would you? Uh, and then, what well, I mean, you could do more. For example, I mean, this morning, well, I mean, in theory, yeah, you could do. They could you could double your rate, yeah, if you really wanted to. But like in a for a let's just say a a central bank that is not in the midst of a of a armed conflict right now, you you really can't go more than a half at a time without shocking the market, right? Well, yeah, but I don't think that your criteria really should be shocking the market. I mean, what would be wrong All with right. saying, okay, I see an issue coming up. This could be the UK or US, more difficult for Europe in its position. We'll raise interest rates to 1%. That's going to be our move. Then we'll sit and wait and see how things develop. So that you're actually okay. getting on with it. But you're rather than, I mean, what what is the point? I don't see it. I see... Um, some firms predicting there'll be seven rises in the US, nine rises. What's the point of that? Why not get on with most of it? And then say, yeah. we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, that's certainly uh, an argument to be made. Uh, but like, can you just recap for us, though? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned the, the Russia-Ukraine situation. There is, you mentioned the fact that the Russian Central Bank put their interest rate to, to 20% over the weekend from 10%. Um, can, can you just outline for us what sort of economic developments have, have, have happened over the weekend for Russia? Okay. Well, well, you see, this for them is essentially around um, their exchange rate. The ruble closed at 83 on Friday. When yep. things started up again last night, it was at 106. Oh, yeah. So the word collapse is bandied about, but for once it may be genuinely used. And so they then felt they had to come in and stop it. But this is really awkward in terms of trying to do it with an interest rate, because even with what they've done, the 10% rise, that's 10% over the next year. It's only roughly half what people were losing last night. So this is, this is the problem you face. So as well, they'll be intervening. The Bank of Russia will be in. But again, it's very expensive. Russia has a lot of foreign exchange reserves. So that, from their point of view, is a good thing. But here's the next problem. Central banks around the world are trying to stop them using them. And some of their reserves are held at the Bank of England. Some are in New York. Some are in Frankfurt. Some are in Tokyo. And they're being blocked from that. So actually, the amount they have to use at the minute is maybe only a quarter of the $630 billion that people thought they had. This is a new era and a new game. We haven't seen this before. It brings risks. Because, for example, leaping a long way ahead, others might decide in future not to hold this stuff at the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve and so on. But for now, Russia's been very restricted. So there must have been panic, frankly. Panic, to say the least, at the Bank of Russia. What can we do? So they've jacked up interest rates as something. They will be intervening, but they have much less. Now, why are they doing this? Well, everything in Russia has suddenly got a lot more expensive. We're talking about inflation for us. But for them, anything you from abroad has just yeah. shot up in price. They, and, yeah. it, you know, this is quite a crunch. The ordinary Russian are not responsible for the war. I mean, the ordinary man on the street or woman on the street. But they're being hurt quite badly. And so that's why the central bank's stepping. That's why their stock market's closed today. Why? Because yeah. everyone would be selling. They're trying to hide the truth. So it's quite a yeah. complicated mixture there. I mean, maybe as a general rule of thumb, 
if if you're relying on um, your reserves in foreign banks, maybe you just don't attack another country and then risk losing access to those reserves. Um, and you mentioned the fact that the crash of the ruble is good for whatever whatever assets that Russia has in other currencies, but that I think is more than counteracted by the fact that their own people are going to pay for this. Their own people are the ones that are going to suffer the most. Uh, and I think that more than um, that, I think that tilts the scales, you know, away from whatever benefit, whatever hypothetical benefit that they have, the rule collapsing is good for no one in Russia. So, um, but the, 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 what, as I said, the ordinary person will be hurt quite badly by this. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's maybe, I mean, I mean, that's that's the unfortunate part of this is it's going to impact them the most. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that the Russian stock market is closed. The ruble is collapsing. Russia has been uh, the Russian banks have been uh, um, expelled from the global swift payment system. Um, what what is next here? Um Sean, as we sort of, I mean, like, in in terms of just the economic reaction here, what is the next shoe to drop? Do you, do well, we for think? example, some of the ways that Russia can respond and already has is by restricting this. In, in a way, things that, again, another venture that people hadn't thought of, Russia's a big producer of fertilizer, for example. Russia right. and Ukraine, between them, are big wheat producers, now, I know it's slightly different emphasis for yourselves in the United States because the U.S. is too. But say for somewhere like the U.K. that's a food importer, to some extent for wheat around a lot of Europe, this is difficult. And this is back to my original point about inflation. If fertiliser is going to be a lot more expensive or you can't get hold of it, either perhaps food's going to be in short supply or it's going to be a lot more expensive for this year's harvest. So these are the sort of other factors that are playing out. And in the way that, again, things that people hadn't really thought about. So we haven't seen this for a very long time. Well, I, and I also just would, would be curious, Sean, you, you know, we, we know that the global economy is interconnected, right? So what's bad for one major world economy can also be bad for several major world economies. Um, what are the chances of this, you know, Russia, what they've done to their own economy in the span of three days, what what are the chances that 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 pain I mean spreads to other parts of Europe and from there it, it can go anywhere? No, I'm sure because the, you know there'll be places nearby that are dependent on Russian business. Whilst the ordinary Russians quite poor, obviously they're the oligarchs. Now this is references somewhere near to me because Chelsea in London is called Chelsea, the football team, soccer as you call it, is called the same right. because there's right. so many Russians here. It is a thing and a lot of wealthy money's come here it's gone to other places cyprus bits of greece and around the world i mean i'm sure there's some in america too but all of these things are in place some of this will now stop there'll be places that deal with russia for business well russian companies and banks can't trade and pay can they so this pop out in places we don't expect as well that someone's trying lots of modern business and finance is complicated and it relies on a lot of links in the chain. Well, if one of the links right. is a Russian bank, Russian business, and we've just shut it down. So these things will pop up where we don't think and we and we don't know. That's fun. That's always enjoyable. More unknowns. 
Sean Richards is a uh, freelance economist, uh, and his website is in the description of this video, notayesmaneconomics.com. Sean, uh, we, we'll have to have you back um, when we as things develop here and talk more about this because it, it's, it, it's, it's a moving target, five moving targets. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Sean. Um, all right. Let's go to our next guest who uh, can offer us a very – different perspective on the situation. Uh, Matt Hammond, he runs IPOWarriors.com, and he, uh, rather than me just say, I'll just bring him on right now. We can talk about it right now. Matt, what's up, man? How are we doing? Oh, man, it's been a, uh, it's been a pretty difficult week. Um, I mean, it's been months of this kind of growing and building, and the stress and suspense has been... uh, more than just a distraction, but it really hit the fan last week. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, we live, me and my wife and my daughter, uh, we live in uh, in Kiev. And uh, for weeks, the pressure has been building up. We've been getting, um, I guess, starting really on about January 23rd, but then I guess February 12th, the U.S. Embassy really started hammering out these uh, warnings that a U.S. citizens should be taking advantage of commercially available options for leaving the country and that, um, you know, to be safe, you should probably get out. It's an incredibly difficult decision to make that from the outside seems very easy. I mean, what? There might be a war. Just leave. Uh, but when your wife is pregnant, she has hospitals that she really trusts and you've already you know, committed to. You have your apartment that you spent however much time and money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they're all material things, but it's so much easier to stay, you know, to stay in place. It's so much easier to just hope that things work out. And it's really impossible to believe that this would happen. I mean, it's really as crazy as thinking that Detroit would get you know, yeah. invaded by somebody that, you know, yeah. the idea that there would be a war zone outside of your window is unfathomable. And, um, you know, there's so much yeah. just confirmation bias. Once you, you know, you understand that you don't want that to happen, you know, you start looking for clues like, oh, but, you know, Russians and Ukrainians, they're both, you know, former Soviet nations. They like, I mean, how many brothers and mothers and families, you know, are, you know, are just divided by a border. Um, they would never come in and like attack with bullets and missiles and bombs. And, you know, this is the 21st century. We, you know, we already put that kind of uh, warfare behind us in, in between developed nations that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, you know, and the cognitive dissonance, the, um, you know, that you just can't really accept it and you don't want to pack all your stuff and, find places for your dogs to be kept while you evacuate. You just, you don't want to accept that. And it was really on top of that, you had all the media in the Ukraine telling, you know, they have to, you know, they have to reduce panic. They don't want the whole country evacuating. They don't want everybody being, you know, making a run on banks and a run on supermarkets. They want to keep people calm and that's their responsibility to do that. Um, So, you know, we had, we're getting a lot of information from inside the country that, no, things are okay. I mean, there's no way there's going to be war. Uh, you know, just everybody relax. This is all just, you know, they're blaming American media and Western media for causing all this, you know, hype and hysteria just to, 
you know, to create news, to create destabilization in Ukraine. I mean, there's a million conspiracy theories going around. And it really got to the point where we got out 30, I mean, I count 30, less than 35 hours before the invasion started. And um, it really just sort of still sends shutters down my spine to think that, I mean, we're taking COVID tests in order to fly out. Now, Poland has waived those, but when we flew out, they were in place. And, you know, you think about, okay, well, if I fail my COVID test before a vacation, I have to cancel all my vacation. That'll be a huge pain in the ass. Um, you know, in this situation, it's like, if I fail my COVID test, I might end up in like yep. quarantine situations and stuck in a really bad situation. So we got out just yeah, I- in time. It's, um, you know, we went to Warsaw first. Now we're in Lisbon, just in a hotel room. Um, you know, it's weird, it's a weird situation. You leave everything you couldn't take with you behind. Uh, we packed, not really knowing if we were just going to be leaving for a week or two, and everything would blow over, which is of course what we hoped. And now we know differently. You know, the day after you left, um, or two days, you know, you, we got to the Warsaw at night, late at night. The next day, we woke up, and there's a lot of tension, but didn't know if we had made an unnecessarily you know, expensive anyway from, you know, at the time it seems expensive to, uh, to have pa- packed up and left. And then the next day you're waking up to these just horrific images and friends still stuck there. People who were supposed to fly out on the 24th, having to turn around and having no food in their refrigerator. No, you know, they had planned to be on, you know, evacuated and other people, I have friends who are in the subway stations, right? Guy, you know, guys I played basketball with undoubtedly, yeah. You know, grabbing, you know, our neighbors are making Molotov cocktails. Uh, the windows in our apartment complex apparently have been, all been blown out. Our neighbors who did stay and are kind of like protecting against looters and, you know, other. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you if you had if you had any word on your your apartment and, and how that has fared through all this. But it seems like you do. Yeah, we don't have anyone who's gone in. Um at this point yes on one hand it seems trivial to say oh well, you know our things you know I'm just well we got out but on the other right. hand it's like yeah that is our <laughs> you build your you know you have your thing you have your stuff right. especially you know for my wife and stuff but yeah we have a few very brave neighbors who are very appreciative too who are literally living in the hallway uh, because that's where it's safe to be um and it's a very, you know, it's surreal. I mean, of the things, first it was COVID. It was like, I didn't think there was, I'd, I'd ever see a global pandemic in my lifetime. That was crazy. Yeah. And now war, it's just sort of like, what? You know? I mean, I, I don't, I don't often, like, I don't ever, frankly, want to speak for this whole company, but I think I speak for this whole company when I say we are glad that you are safe and you made it out. Your timing was uh too close. Close, 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 but I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see you made it out. Uh, do, do you, I mean, I assume your wife has family in the area. Yeah. So, uh, her brother and her mom are down kind of in the south to the South. They're not in a, yeah. in an area that has been immediately impacted yet, which we're grateful yeah. for. Um, they, you know, we did, I mean, it's just, it's not the kind of thing you wanted to be right about. There's times when you're right, especially like we all trade stocks here. That's why we're here. And you're right. And you're like, yeah, it feels so great when you're right. This is not one of those, I told you so moments that uh, feels good at all. And we did encourage, um, you know, encourage them to, you know, 
get their visas ready, get ready to go, come with us. But uh, we're talking, like I said, there's a, there was a lot of information and a lot of encouragement. You know, Ukraine, I, even I kind of, I don't question the decision. Of course, I have a pregnant wife and a daughter. Um, but Ukrainians feel that the right, many Ukrainians feel the right thing to do was to stay and defend their country or stay in, you know, in their apartments. It's, it's an incredibly, um, you know, it's, it's been a pretty deep insight for me in terms of, I mean, we talk about risk management all the time, you know, in, in trading, um, and there are parallels, but, um, not to trivialize, you know, the decisions that we've had to make here and that other people have had to make here, but, you know, the things that you understand about the way people process information are that much more uh, consequential in this type of situation. Uh, and there are parallels. We don't like to sell out of a losing position. Uh, we think that it'll get better. And the, you know, the human psychology wants to believe that, no, it'll come back up. You know, no, there'll, there'll be peace. No, this is, um, you know, yeah. This is not going to be that bad if we just stay here. Like, um, and then there's, you know, there's, I mean, completely outside of that is, hey, no, this is my family. This is my homeland. I'm going to defend yeah. it. Um, that's not a mentality that we should be bringing to the stock market. Um, but it is a reality in this case, in, in this situation. And, um, you know, there was the reality that I had, you know, margin calls and other things that uh, I, you know, everyone knows or who follows me knows that I, you know, trading on margins dramatically changed my financial situation. It also means that in this kind of situation, um, you know, I'm in the airport managing, you know, managing my portfolio, realize that, hey, actually I'm, you know, expecting a huge spike downward, a downward, you know, drop off on Thursday morning, but actually war, you know, as twisted as it is, uh, tends to buoy the stock market. And knowing that allowed me to kind of hold tight in, uh, in positions that rallied since then. And um, sometimes you need a distraction and even, you know, to the extent that, uh, yeah, maybe people are feeling a bit guilty on profiting off of, of an event like this. Uh, you know, the market doesn't care about you when it tanks, the yeah. market doesn't care about you when it goes up or down. And um, we all have, you know, that's what we do. We trade and, you know, we have to trade through these situations. There are opportunities there. Um, there are opportunities to lose money if you don't react accordingly. There's are opportunities to make money and no, it's not significant. Uh, and I just, you know, on Thursday and Friday, other than, you know, manage some stop losses and, and kind of recite to myself that, and set some stink bids, um, you know, pretty much just had to turn off and take care of like, I mean, obviously my wife has been a lot, it's her country, it's her family, it's her, um, you know, it's her place. So, Tending to her and my daughter, uh, the people in Warsaw were incredibly kind to us. The people here in Lisbon have been unbelievably generous. And I think, you know, there have been moments where uh, I can't even share the stories because I'll start crying here on TV where people yeah, have just yeah. been, uh, you know, been insanely supportive of us in ways that uh, I didn't really foresee. Yeah. And the global kind of rallying to the uh, to the assistance of Ukraine, you know, also a bit late, but um, pretty, I, pretty, pretty, pretty. I don't know. I'm overwhelmed with. Yeah, that. I mean, Matt, if if anyone has a right to try to profit off this, it's not one like you that's had your entire life disrupted. So, uh, 
I'm uh, really just, 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 I'm not trading too much. I'm picking up a few positions okay. here and we can talk about, I, I sent, I, I, it has been a healthy distraction for me to get some work done to do, you okay. know, I sent out the newsletter last week. I sent out the newsletter, um, recapping the lack of activity, but posted some ideas for, you know, and, and, and we can transition. It's okay. You know, not to put all of your, um, you know, you can't, it's unhealthy to just continue to, oh, uh, sure. we have to take breaks from this. We took my daughter to the zoo in Warsaw. She had a great time. Um, you know, we went out and did some sightseeing in Lisbon yesterday. Uh, we can't just sit here and watch the news and you know, just the panic and the depression will eat away your soul. Um, sure. And, you, sure. You know, and trading is one of those things where you're just thinking of ideas, just, just kind of a little vacation from mental vacation from the, um, you know, from what's been happening. So I sent out some ideas last, uh, you know, last night saying, you know, IPOs often get hit pretty hard by any market condition. They're kind of like, um, you know, the first position that people will exit from, uh, once there's no buyers, the shorts move in, uh, there's algorithms, there's, uh, people who, you know, it's their job to take advantage of these opportunities and you have to, uh, you know, you will, you're better off, um, you know, trading in the market than, uh, than, than just saying, yeah, nothing I can do. Um, but yeah, we're looking at it. We, we saw a big drop off on Thursday morning. Uh, most of it happened in the pre-market. People just kind of panic sold in the pre-market and the bottom was almost the opening bell of Thursday. And we saw, um, you know, we saw some of the, uh, we already covered all that stuff. We saw some pretty good opportunities in recent IPOs that dropped pretty hard. These are, in my opinion, solid companies. Most of them have exposure to uh, military or um, cyber, you know, cyber technology. But some of them other are, or have just been kind of companies that I like that took more of a hit than they probably deserved on you know Thursday's market dip, and uh, they've rebounded pretty pretty strongly. One that I have traded many times and I like the company. I just feel like they're uh, exposed to this sort of, they've been lumped in with the, you know, with the bathwater of being, you know, a recent IPO, a growth stock, uh, tech. And they, this one Sentinel one dropped down as low as I think 31 or $32 on Thursday morning, which is just a screaming buy on this one. Um, and even when I send it out on Sunday, it's up seven over seven percent today, uh, back up at around 40, 41. Um, I think I have it here. Yeah, it's a 4117. Uh, so I like I mean, one thing about trading IPOs, I've said this many times, is you're just studying um, what, you know, ultimately becomes a, you know, a stock, another stock on the stock market. And if you do this over many years, you will have very intimate um, understanding of the you know, the movement of different stocks. And with Sentinel one, for example, it's just, you know, this was in my mental database as, Hey, this is a security stock. This is a recent yeah. IPO. They have, you know, they're a leader in cybersecurity. They've been stealing market share from some of the other entrenched players. And, you know, with this kind of news that where all stocks sink, the ones that are most likely to rebound quickly are the ones that are actually strong companies that, um, if there is, you know, if people believe that, well, inflation is going to have to, you know, the rate hikes are going to have to wait a little bit while this war situation uh, gets resolved. And this had a, you know, a huge 
rebound from you know 31 here up to uh to 42 I said over the weekend this is definitely one to watch it's up okay it was up as high as seven and a half percent today now it's it's up so Sentinel one that's one that uh that i like especially with cyber you know cyber attacks playing you know critical role here i just don't think the downside is that heavy and uh the upside potential just traded up as high as 78 dollars just three months ago so i like this one Another one, uh, Skywater Technologies, IPO that pretty low float, got short hit and had a good earnings report. Um, they do semiconductors, which are uh, which have uh, military applications. Again, you see on Thursday, it dipped down to about nine. It's been up as high as 11.87 there. Um, following IPOs, trading IPOs, doesn't just have to be the debut trade. We can keep an eye on these for uh, when there are market catalysts that affect the whole market um, recent IPOs seem to be particularly volatile. So um, that's why uh, I like following them. I like trading them. Um, I like knowing about what's, you know, what's doing what MTech down to 144, uh, up, down, up as high as these guys do semiconductors that are used in drones, in missiles, in uh, video surveillance uh, with AI built in. That's been a good one. Neurosense. This is just one that you know a lot of bio, recent low float biotechs have gotten hammered. Um, shorts have started attacking them uh, after their kind of day two spike. This one has a bunch of presentations in March, um, and I had been holding this one, but kind of had to exit my position to uh, relieve some margin stress last week. Uh, but today, I called this out on Sunday. Um, it uh, opened pre-market today, it was down at around 165, 170, ran up to 268, um, up 30% today. So it was pretty spot on with that one. And then the one that I've always liked uh, in Spirit Technologies, and this is just kind of an example of, if you like a company um, that, uh, you know, if you like a company that has gone on some big spikes, I know that their biggest catalyst won't come until the end of the year uh, when they anticipate getting FDA approval for their, um, you know, for their core device uh, and then further FDA approval uh, early next year. You know, if when you have these kind of positions where it's a low float company, they've had some big spikes. You, you know, I've loaded up a position. I've sold, I've made three huge wins on this already. And this is nice. before the news comes along or what I expect the big news to come. Um, you know, these market dips are great times to add to any position that you like long, long term. Uh, you don't want to be buying long term positions, of course, when the market's overheated and everything's way up. Uh, but you have these, uh, you know, these stocks in your mental portfolio, uh, you know, where they're, you know, what your entry points are. And you see dips way down here. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, if you see this is sort of the fair value right now and you have opportunities to buy in right here. Uh, this is when you kind of use that knowledge of recent IPOs that haven't really reached their uh, ultimate potential catalyst. Uh, this is a great time to buy in here. Um, the warrants are even, I believe, a better value for the long-term play. But um, that's what I'm looking to do with I the see. IPO right. knowledge when there aren't IPOs to trade, when there aren't um, right. there's no IPOs last week, doesn't look like any this week. So that's what I've been doing other than just kind of figuring out where to go next and what to do next. And uh, Matt, Matt can, can, can you go back to that? Can, can you go back to that slide a few slides ago, the one that wasn't about like – 
like the first slide you had yeah that one that, that okay. this is this is the this important is this is the big yeah. this is way more important <laughs> honestly it's like and, and it, it goes for both it goes for life and for trading and i can say that actually trading was you know the skills or whatever i don't even know if they're skills it's just instincts that kind of came over the last year and especially just seeing the market drop in the last three months uh from from where it was at in november december um those are definitely things that i was thinking about i was thinking like hey we don't know if anything bad is going to happen but if something really bad happens um where would i rather be if i'm wrong so if i'm wrong that you know that there's going to be an invasion if there's no invasion uh, and I'm wrong that I left. Uh, is that okay? That's not that bad. I'm still okay. But if I stay and I'm wrong, I've put my family and myself in serious, like serious risk. And which wrong would I rather endure? And if I'm right, I don't even want to be right. But if I am wrong, you know, and, and, and some of the things that I had to kind of mentally process was because it, there, it's so different to be on the outside. It's so different to say, uh, oh, I would have left if I were you know, in that situation. You don't know that. Um, it's really easy when all sure. your your whole life is not you know, going to be uprooted. Um, and it really is so much easier to do nothing. It was so much easier. I mean, even in January, when we first started kind of really thinking like something might happen at any time, it was just so much easier to not pack all your stuff up, to not find, you know, some safe place, like, you know, nine hours drive away from Kiev where our dogs could stay while we figured things out. Um, it's so much easier not to leave and pack everything, not knowing how long you're going to have to, you know, leave. I mean, it's expensive to yeah. rent cars, to take flights, to rent places to stay, to be on sort of a forced it's kind of a vacation, but it's not, doesn't feel like a normal vacation I bet. Um, and your mind will doubt, you know, the extreme possibilities of war. I mean, I had a really hard time imagining what is currently the view from our window. I mean, we would be watching the sky burn, uh, warplanes flying overhead. We have a expansive view from our, you know, from, we're on the 16th floor. We look out over the river, we can see the left side of Kiev. I mean, we would be, you know, other than the fact that our windows are probably blown out right now, witnessing war, like real warfare, like you see yeah. in the movies, that you, yep. you, your mind doesn't expect that to happen. You know, in confirmation bias, cognitive dissonance, these are two things I've always been very aware of, and even more so, confirmation bias is that you tend to see things that confirm what you want to believe. And in the stock market, that's something like, oh, you just believe that this company is great, and doesn't matter what everyone else says if the stock's going down or anything else you just believe it and you start doing research and you find research that confirms what you believe and that's very dangerous in a situation like this where you want to believe that there's not going to be a war in your you know neighborhood and so you start trying to justify oh no putin's just doing military exercises this is just the western media um you know stirring up uh, crap for political reasons. This isn't really going to happen. Um, you know, there's no way. And, and you find, and you find facts to back, you know, that, um, that, that thing that you want to believe. 
Um, cognitive dissonance is another one to, to believe is your brain doesn't want to um, accept things that aren't you know in alignment with fact with the facts that are clear to everybody else. And even when I'm getting three calls a day from the embassy and everybody on the outside, my friends, my family, people I haven't talked to in years are sending me messages saying, Matt, you guys really should get out. This sounds crazy. You know, there's a, and also yeah, like, yeah, there's part of you that wants to, you're not here. You don't, you don't know, you know, you just want to dismiss them out of hand, but yeah. So um, again, weighing the worst case scenarios for all possible outcomes that to me was really where it got to the point where it's just couldn't, it felt like I was staying in a burning building and, uh, having a really hard time yeah. just getting through to my wife that look, this is really potentially terrible. And if I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, but I'd rather be wrong in another, uh, you know, in safe, in a safe place than wrong and stuck in the war zone. And we did a lot. I mean, I can say that looking back, we really took precautions. Like, I mean, amidst all this, we had a vacation within Ukraine travel, like scheduled, for the 17th to the 21st, which coincidentally took us out of Kiev and into much safer kind of wait and see locations anyway. So we took that, but instead of leaving our dogs in Kiev um, with our neighbors looking after them, knowing that, hey, if stuff happens, we don't want our dogs left in Kiev. You know, we canceled our train. We were gonna take a train um, out to you know where we're going. Instead, we rented a car so we could take our dogs with us. And now our dogs are at least you know, in a much safer place to wait this out and we can get them. They're much closer to the Polish uh, and Hungarian borders. And, um, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's maybe a weak analogy, but, you know, I've learned so much in the stock market recently about setting puts uh, or, you know, buying puts when you're up in a position, um, setting stop losses, doing things. And, and I do believe that all of that kind of all those mental exercises helped me in this situation because I was, um, you know, I, I was thinking, sure. well, if this does happen, what are the things we can take? You know, what are the precautions we can take to, you know, to mitigate these? Uh, someone, someone asked me why we were in Lisbon. Uh, I've always liked Portugal. I've been here before. Um, my wife's pregnant and Warsaw was kind of cold. Uh, Portugal's a little bit more affordable than the rest of Europe if we're really kind of in a position where we have to. Uh, hunker down for months or years. Um, there's surfing here. I like surfing. Um, it's near the ocean. Um, so all things considered, once we got out, when the easiest way to get out was Warsaw, um, then it was kind of like, all right, uh, so where do we go now? Uh, my wife's you know, five months pregnant. We didn't want to fly all the way to America. It's also a long way to come back, uh, and we didn't have our dogs, so we need to be somewhere kind of staged in Europe and um, of all the places I've been that, um, you know, it was, it, it was, a, it was a combination of cost, comfort, and uh, where we could see ourselves actually settling in if this becomes um, a permanent kind of vacation. Uh, yeah. So. I, I, yeah. I don't even know what to say to all this, Matt. Um, I, I, I mean, I literally can't even imagine what you're going through so i, can I can't try. imagine i'm still i'm still processing I, I, it it's honestly like uh, yeah there's times when we wake up and it's just like where am i and yeah. what what's going on what are we doing oh my god we're in a country that a week ago i mean and, and then the other thing that i keep it's only been i mean especially it was on saturday when i was just like we've been through so much between 
when it all started on Thursday to Saturday to just be like, wow, it's only been two days. Like, oh my God. And like now it's only been what, five days? There's, and it's just kind of like, wow, it feels like I've already left the war zone, been in Warsaw for a few days, and now out a few days in Lisbon. It's just like, wow, this is still unfolding. I really hope that somehow they can get through to Putin and, you know, he starts processing that this was a huge, you know, blunder. This all blows up in his face and he like takes the, you know, the, the easiest off ramp possible and not do something insane, like double down and say, I mean, this could still get scarier here. And, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it feels good to get out, but it, nothing, nothing about the situation feels good. So. Yeah. I mean, thank you for coming on today, Matt. I, you know, uh, we've been in, in, in communication via email. You were kind enough to let us know when you were out. Uh, but really interesting here how like trading has taught the thought process of trading ha has helped you in this situation that you is entirely out of your control. And yet you were able, you've been able to navigate it uh, in part because of, you know, your experience and, and understanding like thought process and managing risk. So I think that's a big takeaway here. Yeah. I think um, in a lot of, in a lot of professions, a lot of decisions in life, you don't have to think about risk. Um, yep. I think when we're you're in a, a job where you're mostly producing things or, you know, you're not having to, in a very calculated way, um, identify what you're doing to, you know, because I mean, I think most people start out trading, not thinking about puts, not thinking about selling covered calls, not thinking about um, stop losses. They just buy low, sell high. That's kind of where we all start. Um, and as you do things longer and you get more sophisticated and understand more of the tools, you realize that it's much less about like long-term success is much less about taking profits than avoiding losing money while yeah. actively trading. And if you can actively trade without losing money, the, you know, the, the default to that is that you will be profitable over time. Um, but yeah, having those kind of mental tools and being aware of how my mind was working definitely helped um, make the, the tough decision. I mean, it was- And, and, and also the art, the art of changing your mind, the art of knowing yeah. how, how to quickly change your mind. Admit you're wrong, change your mind. Do That's something true. about it, right? Is yeah, it, there's no there's no victory in um, remaining right. on the losing side of a decision. Right. For sure, for sure. Matt, we appreciate you so much for coming on today. I, I wasn't quite sure how this segment was going to go, but but I, I, I thank you uh, for for joining us, um, for letting us know that you're safe. And um, I'll, I guess all I can say is I, I hope you're able to return home sooner rather than later. Um, I think we all Thank hope you, that. Spencer. Thanks to everybody. I mean, everybody out there. Uh, I mean, I'm leaving people out here, but, you know, Aaron, yeah. Mitch, Luke, uh, you, everybody uh, in Benzing has been emailing me, asking me if everything's okay, if there's anything they can do to help. I mean, the support of this community, the IPO Warriors community, I've gotten a lot of um, support from them. Um, so, you know, thanks to everybody. Really appreciate it. It's been humbling. And, uh, you know, just another reminder to, um, you know, kiss your loved ones while you're, you know, in a position to and uh, enjoy your life while you can. There are things way more important than money and the stock market and everything else. And, uh, you know, 
this uh, things can change so much faster than you think they can. And, um, you know, yep. take advantage of the good things while you can. And hey, N Natalie Stone points out that Lisbon's good for crypto. So there's a silver lining here <laughs> after all, Matt. Thanks for coming on Benzinga Live today. Stay safe out there. All right, Matt. All right. I, I don't I don't know how we move on from that segment. Frankly, that was like the best segment we've ever we've ever had on this show, I think. Um so um I don't even know how I want to talk about other stuff today because God, I gosh. I mean, and this is also this is why on, on Thursday I, I was I was on pre market prep and I was just so just freaking bombed and just upset because I, you know, the shit kind of hit the fan on Thursday, on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And I was just like, so like, who wants to talk about the stock market right now? Now I've, I've had a few days to, to come to grips with the situation. And obviously this doesn't affect me like it affects Matt. Um, but it, it's hard to, 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 focus on other things and at the same time as matt said you needed this distraction so sometimes sometimes maybe the focusing on the market can be good because it can just distract you from other things but um yeah i don't really want to talk about world war three possibilities sam i'll be honest with you i mean <laughs> all right there were, there were a lot of great takeaways from that uh chat with matt like matt said though i mean the market doesn't care about you it doesn't care about and and the world when it's the world likewise doesn't care about you. I mean the the Russian army does not care about about Matt, right? Um it, it that was a that was a great segment, man. I mean the art of changing your mind in risk analysis, risk management, I mean that's real risk management right there. That's forget buying puts. That's real risk management. So speaking of buying puts, it does seem like in the past, I don't know, hour uh, since we've started the show, really, the markets ha have kind of turned around. We were positive in pretty much all, all major, or at least SPY and NASDAQ were positive when we started the show. Now they've given up some of their gains. Um, looking at some big movers. Spencer, we talked about this last week. Last week, I, it was toward the end of the week. I forget exactly what day it was, but it was a day where the queues were up like one and a half percent. All of tech was up. And Netflix was actually red. You recall yeah, that? Yeah. No, I, we, we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. Oh, yeah. We talked about that last week. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I was watching Netflix today. It looked like Netflix actually broke out a little bit. I mean, it was up like 1.5% when the rest of the market or when, when NASDAQ was up like half a percent. I, I don't know. I mean, like to, on one end, that's a red flag for me, right? That a stock is not performing well in an environment where like other tech stocks are doing well. But on the other hand, you have to imagine that there will be a reversion to the mean and that, and that Netflix will then catch up. Um, you know, it's such know. a big name. So I, I see both sides of it. I'm just watching Netflix right now. I'll say that. I'm officially watching it. I think either if we get back down to the level around 350 that we saw to. I mean, this stock after that terrible earnings report ran from 350 to 450. But since then, we've kind of been hanging out in this 380 to 400 level. I'd be looking for that next run up to 450. I'm just not ready to, to play that yet. All right. Netflix on the watch list. Let me go back to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway letter, and then we can, uh, we're going to have Jake Wajastic join us in 10 minutes here from, from, from Trendspider. So let's get my, um, my letter back on the screen. 
And I will scroll. Actually, no, I don't need to bring that up. What I do want to bring up is the chart of Berkshire Hathaway. And I want to move on to some of the takeaways I had. We talked about the annual returns of Berkshire as it pertains to the overall market or as it compares to the overall market, the S&P 500. The fact that he's beaten it uh, pretty consistently for 60 years is nothing short of remarkable. Um, The biggest takeaway, though, from this letter in particular was – what Warren Buffett called the four pillars of his of Berkshire Hathaway. For years, he's talked about the, the three pillars of Berkshire Hathaway. You have uh, um, transportation, insurance, and energy. Um, apple, apple, apple. You can't ignore the apple in the room. I, the apple is one of the four pillars now of this company. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway owns 5.55% of Apple. Um and Apple itself accounts for about 40% of Berkshire Hathaway's public holdings. So Berkshire Hathaway holds, you know, hundreds of companies. They own there are some companies where they own the entire thing like like Geico and there are others where they only own pieces of via their um just via the public markets, the stock market and and of their of the public market side of their business, Apple accounts for 40% of their portfolio that's a lot that is that's big time yeah and he noted or you know I don't know if it was him but berkshire noted in the letter that uh year over year their stake in apple increased from like 5.4 to 5.5 which they're like doesn't sound like a lot but that 0.01 percent accounted for um you know more than 100 million dollars in earnings yeah, so. each each 0.1 percent increase in their apple stake accounts for a hundred million dollars of of uh of apple earnings yeah i mean um, just incredible but I, I guess to my question of that would be and you you can look up berkshire's holdings you can see what they're uh and then when you're looking at the holdings you can see what they're highly convicted on because you know what they have more equity in. you could assume they're more uh, yep. bullish more highly convicted in it i mean why, why would i i mean i get you get other exposures to stuff but at that point why wouldn't i just go out and buy apple and buy some of the other holdings they have in there Craft Heinz or whatever it is. Yeah, well, so maybe I should bring up the page you're talking about, which I think is what page uh, page six in the letter, uh, where he does where the table that shows. Okay, these are the companies. This is just a selection of companies that we own, and here's how much of it that we own. I mean, maybe the answer to my question is just that you also get exposure to Geico. Well, right. Well, yes. the The answer to your question, which is why not just go and buy Apple. Or well, I'm saying, the, or why not just go buy American Express? Go and, buy the and, stocks that he owns, but then also, you know, what I'm saying like I would, if I were doing that, I would put a lot of it in Apple, just because it's like, oh, he, if Warren's that highly convicted in Apple, I, I'm that, uh, I want my most of my allocation to be toward Apple too. Yeah, the answer to your question is the private company side and 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 the management of of, of Warren Buffett. But for example, so what this table shows is they they own 20 percent of American Express, they own about 13 percent of Bank of America. They own thirteen percent of Moody's. They own nine uh, percent of Coke. So they've got some large stakes, but 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 again, in terms of the Berkshire portfolio, forty percent of their portfolio is is Apple, which is pretty stunning. Uh, another takeaway I had here from the letter: Berkshire Hathaway has a lot of cash on their balance sheet, like a like a an abnormally large amount of cash for them. 
Um, yeah, they're ready to buy a dip if uh, if World War Three breaks out and the stock market crashes. Ber- Berkshire will be in a good position to, uh, you know, lower their cost average. In Apple. Berkshire Hathaway has a hundred forty four billion dollars of cash and cash equivalents, which is just short term bonds, on their balance sheet. You know who else has a lot of cash? No, Apple. Yes, that's true. Um, so it, it, it is remarkable. He said in the letter uh, Buffett did that they have always pledged him and his partner, Charlie Munger, they've always pledged to have more than $30 billion in cash at all times. Well, Same. they, they have $144 billion, so just a little bit more than, than that. That's threshold. my rule of thumb, too. I always yeah. try to keep at least $30 billion in cash yeah. just in case yeah. anything happens. Uh, and my last takeaway here was just uh, part of the Berkshire Hathaway story just is speaks to the power of the stock buyback. Um, in the last two years, Berkshire Hathaway has been buying back their stock. As a result of their buybacks, if you owned Berkshire Hathaway stock in 20, um, say, summer 2019 to today, your ownerships, your stake in Berkshire Hathaway in the company has increased. 10%. You own 10% more Berkshire Hathaway today than you did 2 years ago. And the only thing that's changed is they've bought they've bought their own stock back. They've reduced the supply of their own stock in the public markets. It now, just, Spencer, I, I haven't looked too far into this, but I did see a headline earlier saying they were reducing their buybacks. Uh I I didn't that's possible. I didn't see I didn't see that. Let me let me fact check this real quick. Um but your ownership stake has increased 10% in the last two years, all because Berkshire Hathaway has bought back their own stock. They have bought back about $51.7 billion of their own stock since the end of 2019. Yeah, so this is uh, a Barron's headline. Berkshire Hathaway's reduced buybacks may overshadow powerful earnings gains. Uh, the reduced buybacks of $1.2 billion in 2022, below the quarterly pace of nearly $7 billion. So I guess they just hadn't bought back well, as well, much. He, well, he talked about the, the buyback is only good as a tool if your stock is undervalued. You don't want to buy your stock back when it's at ridiculous prices. Yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're doing sh- uh, share buybacks while your stock's overvalued, you're diminishing returns. In, right. To, in, uh, yeah. Right. So if you look at the chart of Berkshire Hathaway, let me bring it up on the screen here, you can, you can see why, he would, why, what, why they would want to buy back their stock less than they were before because the stock has been on a huge run. So let me just go, go zoom out there. Look at look at the run that Berkshire has had. Look at that. Look at that performance. So it makes sense that they would they would lower their buyback rate. Stock is outperformed. Um, Alabama Cowboy, you should email us. I already. I'm already. Power Hour, or you can email just support at benzinga.com. He already emailed them. All right. Respond to it right now. All right. Good deal. Alabama Cowboy, if you want to get your money back, you should be able to get your money back. It goes to show. I mean, we're not going to keep your money um, unless you give it to us forever, in which case we will. Um, yeah, exactly right, uh, Parte Bonza, um, is the, the transportation thing. Uh, Tariq, I, I put the link in the chat, but I'll, I'll put it in there again. Tariq, this is publicly available. It's on the Berkshire Hathaway website. Here's the link in the chat right now. 
That link, that's the link to Warren Buffett's annual letter. And I'll, I'll do you one better, actually. I'll do you one better. I will give you the link. I have to track it down for a second. Um, I will give you the link to all of his letters. They are all great reads. They're not very long. I'll be honest, guys. This one was like 11 pages, and the text is nice and big. They're not, they're not very long letters. Um, gosh, I have to find the link, though. You may have to give me a few minutes to track it down because I, I know where to find it. I just don't know how to find it. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense at all. Um, I'll track it down in a few minutes. But Warren, but the archive of, of all of his letters is, is a fantastic read. I'll track it down at some point before the end of the show today. Uh, I promise. Um, Ooh, are the markets coming back in here? A little bit. A little bit. All right, I found it. That, that wasn't very hard. Google okay, is, and then Spencer, when Jay cops on, I will have to leave for a second. Google is your friend. Ready? I'm putting the link in the chat right now. That link goes to every single annual letter going back to 1977. And again, they're just really easy reads. They're nice. They're it's 10 pages, big font, you know, easy sentences to understand. Very big, very easy reads, very good reads. So, um, all right, let's let's move off of that for a minute. I had some more things to discuss with y'all, but uh, we got to put that on hold for now because our next guest is here, Jake Wojastic from Trend Spider, sharing the charts and the knowledge with us right now. Let's get Jake Wojastic on the show. Let's give him our new intro as well, provided that I can find it. Jake, how are we doing out there? It's going. It is going. How are you guys going? We're, we're doing, man. We're doing. We're just trying to keep our heads above water over here. Um, drowning in news over the weekend, which is never a great thing yeah. to do. So um, good to step away every so often and just clear your head. But I'd be, I'd be curious to see, to hear you get your thoughts on this because – Feelings are one thing, but you, you you like to let your let the charts rule everything for you, the price rule everything for you. I would be love to get you get, get where, where's your head at right now as far as the market's reaction these last uh, three four days. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, first and foremost, what's happening, you know, in in Ukraine is just absolutely uh devastating and you know it's 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 really tough to even focus on the markets when you you've got you know people fighting for their lives essentially and uh it just shows that money you know money's uh you know it's it's not everything but you know what i what i've just been trying to do is is just kind of uh look at the key levels that I always look at uh that have that have held pretty well over the last week or you know actually uh a month or so uh, and so, you know, especially when you've got price action like this, you literally could have news come out in 30 minutes and wipe out any setup on the long or short side. So, I mean, with with this type of uh, price action, I mean, you got to be literally trading like the five minute chart. Um, but there are there are uh, longer term setups that are still holding, um, you know, so like SPY, for example, you do have. Uh, a relatively strong candle last week, but the thing is, is you know, I think I think last week was just a pretty big short squeeze into 
into the end of the week. You had people uh, liquidating their positions going into the end of the week. And, you know, a lot of those seem to be on the short side. Um, and today you did have an initial little pop there. And then I think we, we pulled back simply because there was really nothing that came out of the, the meeting between Ukraine and Russia, which isn't shocking. Um, and, and so now I think, I think the, the markets in general are just trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Even if, even your safe havens, your silvers and your, your golds aren't doing what I think a lot of people thought they would. Um, I think Bitcoin's been kind of the, the interesting one being, being up so much today. But at the same time, uh, I think a lot of people, there's demand for crypto right now because that's kind of the only way some people can get uh, any money into Russia and, and, and that type of thing. So not shocking there. You've actually seen a pretty decent disconnect between the markets and Bitcoin over the last you know, few days, or at least at least today with, with Bitcoin ripping and then the market kind of pulling back a little bit after its initial move up. But um, yeah, I mean, on the weekly chart, you can see here, the main area that I'm watching here is, is essentially your, your capitulation, your low before the election in 2020. And the reason why I'm using that is, is essentially because it's been a really strong area that price is held. And what I've done is I've added an offset here. So this is something I've talked about a few times on the show. Uh, essentially, an offset is it's, it's having an original original VWAP. So I'll take it off for a second. Here's your original VWAP. Uh, this is your volume weighted average price. This is essentially the dollar cost average of every share traded since uh, the, the pre-election low uh, capitulation. And you'll see that we bounced around that area. I mean, we talk about zones all the time when I come on on Mondays, but this is I mean, you may need to add a couple more percent to your zones when you're looking at this price action because people are people are very emotional. People are panicking. People are getting you know, potentially margin calls if they're in the wrong type of uh, you know asset. You know, look at some of the assets connected to uh, and currencies connected to Russia. Um, so a lot of this is based on liquidity and emotion. Uh, and when you've got those two things driving the markets, you need a lot of of margin of error around the areas you're watching. So for me, you know, this, this line has not necessarily been incredibly uh, relevant over the last two years or year and a half, but what is relevant is about a two and a half percent offset from that line. So essentially a margin of error, about 2%, two and a half percent above this line. So when I do that and I add that uh, to the chart, You'll see here that this area becomes actually very relevant. You've got all of this price action literally for, you know, months. The price was just riding up along this 2.5% offset. So, if, you know, if you guys want a better visual without this arrow, we'll just make it uh, a really thick, uh, we'll make it green. So you guys will see this, this is that offset. And we've literally just, we were riding along it for, you know, the, the first quarter of 2021. And then we started to kind of take off and, and, and move up pretty quick off that area. But then as we pulled back over the last several weeks and even two months or so or more, we have found, uh, we have found, I don't, I don't even know if I want to call them buyers, but we've had supply dry up there at least uh, around this, this zone. So for now, you know, we're holding here uh, and this, you know, this is the last day of the month. So you always want to kind of look at look at what's going on on the monthly chant, uh, the monthly candle. And, uh, you know, you, you have a decent wick here on, on the, on this, uh, candle. Now 
when you start talking about nuclear war and all types of stuff, you know, I don't, I don't think charts are going to, that's unprecedented, right? You haven't seen that kind of price action ever pretty much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I were to just look at the chart and assume that, you know, things won't get that crazy and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this will just be, hopefully a, a war that's not not uh just absolutely devastating it already is but to the point where we're getting poland involved and all these other countries you know the the charts are going to not be as relevant as they were now the one thing i will say is the fact that all this is happening is really lowering the uh number of the probability of a high amount of interest rate hikes this year i think you know that's what the market's pricing in and people are wondering well you know, why isn't the market tanking today uh, because Putin mentioned a nuclear war or potential, you know, high alert on, you know, nuclear force. Uh, that's because nobody else, there's nowhere else to put your money, uh, especially when there is no, uh, there is really, I would be shocked if they started hiking rates in this type of environment. You've already got prices, you know, going out of control from, from oil to wheat, all that type of thing. So, the market the market cares more about where is liquidity going and if there's nowhere to put your money and get a yield it's going to likely stay in the market especially you know the S&P 500 but you've even seen some uh, some growth names catch a bid because if yeah. interest rates are going to remain zero then all these growth names have been tanking the last 3 months because the market is anticipating you know 6 7 rate hikes in the in within the year and all of a sudden that pulls back and that's why you're seeing these these uh, beaten down stocks actually not continuing down. And so I think a lot of people don't uh, or maybe people just don't fully understand how that works. But I have seen a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, you know, last night they're looking at futures and they're saying, well, PayPal is going to be at 95 again. Well, that, that's just not how it works. You know, it's, it, it's, it's where liquidity goes. And uh, when you have the market pricing in a less likely chance of interest rates really being hiked this year, then that money is going to flow into these names that have been getting hit because the market is anticipating rates going up. So um, all in all, I mean, it's, it's not uh, something that I can even really, and I think we talked about this like two weeks ago. I was like, I have no idea, or maybe it was on the spaces I was on. Someone's asked me, well, what do you think is going to happen next week? And this is before Russia even invaded. So I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. This guy's crazy. Like I have no idea what he's going to do. So, so it's, I'm not even going to sit here and try to try to make it seem like I have any idea what's going to happen. Things can switch overnight so quickly. And people saw that last night, futures were down what two and a half percent. All of a sudden we went green for the day. If you're not trading futures, don't look at them because if you're, if you're going to bed at night, you know, happy that the market's down two and a half percent because you have puts people woke up this morning, not as happy. And, um, you know, because, because the market pretty much, uh, does opposite what a lot of people think. So the S and P 500, the Q's, all of these things are going to be the same. I mean, if you want levels, like just general levels, if you're playing the, if then game, you know, if we break this, then we go here. Uh, I, you know, the levels are the same. And the thing is last week's candle is So ra the range on this candle is insane. Uh, so for me to come in and say, oh, you know, what what areas are there to look at? I mean, if I were to take a wild guess, I'd take this wick from late January, the bottom of this wick. I'd take this area here 
And if we start to break down below the open and, and pretty much the previous week's low, you know, if we break 431 on, uh, on, on the, the weekly, then we could potentially go and test this previous low here, which is around 421, 422. But that's all an if then statement, right? I mean, it, you, that's all you can do here. And, and, the, and notice here, this week's high so far is essentially last week's high. So we are trading within these, these thresholds of if this breaks, then that. We didn't break this. So then uh, we're, we're not going to look at any, anything higher at the moment. So if you're a horizontal trader, this is about all you can do right now. You can look at the previous high. You can see that we were rejected right at it. This is an area where we had a previous low in uh, the week of February 14th. We opened here last week, which is also relevant. And now we're literally, uh, we opened this week right at that area. So the 431.50, if we break down through that with, with some uh, heavy selling uh, in volume, then I think you're probably going to retest these lows uh, around 420, which is just a psychological number. There's a lot of good thoughts. A lot of good thoughts there. Um, yes, I, I agree with your your take your take on the on the futures markets. Uh, unless you're actively trading them, although I'm a hypocrite because I'm not actively trading them, but yet I, I watch them all the time. Uh, probably not good for your psyche to be doing that. Uh, so, um, the the rebound in tech today is interesting. I mean, you you noted Bitcoin. Bitcoin's moving pretty correlated with with tech with the queues right with with apple with those types of of assets um so let, let's bring up one oh, this is this is bitcoin now great so let's just look at bitcoin here yeah and i think you know i i, I think bitcoin's uh deviating from the market and that's something you haven't seen for a while you know bitcoin's up pretty big right now uh for the week and the markets are are kind of pulling back so i think this is a function of essentially uh, demand increasing because all of a sudden you've got people that want to transfer money to Russia. Uh, you know, even companies that are maybe trying to pay their employees who are in Russia, but they're in the States or somewhere else. The only way to really do that right now, uh, or one of the very few ways is to transfer Bitcoin. So the demand of Bitcoin, I think is just picking up and that's why you're seeing the price. I don't think, uh, this is a representation of what it has been recently, which is a risk on risk off uh, sentiment liquidity uh, gauge. I think now you're actually seeing Bitcoin being used as uh, with utility to actually uh, get Maybe. money to people. And that's why it's going up. You're, this is not at this point, at least this isn't a risk on risk off indicator at the moment. It's actually people are utilizing it for what what it really was created for. And so so that's something I would maybe change a little bit moving forward. Like, I'm not going to look at Bitcoin and say, oh, Bitcoin's ripping. The market's going to do great. Bitcoin's ripping because there's a lot of demand for it right now because people are trying to figure out how the hell they're going to get paid uh, in Russia from another country. Right, right. All right, guys, if you have any tickers you want Jake to look at, drop them in the chat. Uh, well, he's, he hangs out every Monday for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and just runs through uh, the market. So, are there are, are there any Jake? Last week I was like, and this is Thursday when I was feeling super depressed and down. But I was like, I I, I don't want any part of of any short term longs right now. Um, now that I've had a few days to you know mentally adjust, um, I don't quite know where I stand on that front. But do you have any any short to intermediate term swings you want to tell us about? 
Um, yeah, and, and one thing I'll mention, you know, you call me not a true trader, whatever. I don't really care. But I, okay. I it's, for me, there's no way I could try to short this market right now. I don't want to wake up and hear that some massive, you know, uh, escalation happened with, with, uh, with yeah. NATO and Russia. And I'm happy because I'm making money. I cannot, I can't sleep at night knowing that I'm making money because of some, some people dying or something like that. So I'd rather just hold cash and, and, you know, make money on the long side. I, I just can't, because even if you don't think that way, but you have a, a put or a short in the market, you naturally all of a sudden are almost cheering on negative negativity throughout the world because of yeah. whatever, you know, because of what's going on. So for me, uh, I just can't do that. It's not, it's not within my just way I, I think. And I, I, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't judge anyone for doing that just for me personally. I can't, that I can't really do that. Um, so like, if you did want to look at potential longs, I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin continues to rip. So the first thing you would think about is maybe proxies to Bitcoin on the long side. So Mara uh, is kind of one of the first things that I think about uh, when I when I think of Bitcoin and, and a proxy, essentially. So, you know, this thing hasn't even really been moving as much as you really would expect it. I mean, uh, I think people probably uh, will definitely continue to use this as a proxy. And who cares what? I don't even know what they do. I, I think they mine, but I, I don't even know. So yeah. I posted a chart of them a couple, like a month ago, and someone's like, "Oh, you know, this isn't this isn't really the best Bitcoin stock." Well, I don't care. What I care about is what do people think of when they think of Bitcoin stocks? That's where the liquidity comes from, not what's the best one. Uh, so Mara is definitely known, especially on Finchwood, as being that Bitcoin proxy. So if you were to think about maybe going long on something and you don't want to actually buy Bitcoin through a crypto exchange and you want to stay on the equity side of things, this may be a proxy uh, to look at. So, so you know, that's one. Um, or you could just straight up trade the crypto side of things. Ethereum, I mean, is, is pretty much... Uh, looking pretty good here too. The only thing you'd want to really look for is a break through this diagonal resistance zone. So um, this diagonal resistance zone uh, would be your first level and that's probably around 3000. It's also a psychological level, but then you just throw on uh, a horizontal uh, uh, resistance line here. And I would just take it from here to here. Uh, notice that I'm kind of taking these where we closed and where we uh, opened on in early February. I'm using that as my main line, but then I'm also using this margin of error to capture this, these two uh, lower highs here. So that's kind of how I come up with price targets. So if we break through 3000, then my target above would just be the previous highs in that zone right around 3250 or so. Um, so, so far a pretty strong candle, but we'll, uh, we'll see how it plays out into the rest of the day. Um, SDC is one that I actually took a position in. Uh, yeah. And, and I'll kind of explain my reasoning for that one. Um, I've been trading options over the last couple of weeks. I was in PayPal calls last week that did, that did pretty well. Um, I was in MU calls that didn't do so well. Uh, but the problem with any individual option, right? Any individual stocks options chain right now, unless you're trading like Tesla or you're trading, 
you know, something that has a ton of liquidity, it's really hard to trade any individual names right now because the options chains are just so illiquid. The spreads are large. So this is one that I'm actually interested in because one, it's been absolutely annihilated because of that growth uh, sell-off. And this has kind of been uh, definitely a poster child of growth here. Um, but a couple of things, you've got this base forming, you've got this round base, you've got a gap above. Now, the only problem is you've got uh, earnings tomorrow. So this is definitely going to be a make or break with earnings. So if you did enter this position, it'd be a purely a gamble going into, I think it's after hours, they have earnings, but I do like the base here. So if we were to use uh, the weekly side of things uh, and we just simply look at where, where's a lot of volume kind of taken place since uh, since this high that we saw back in January of 2021, you'll see there is a ton of volume holding at this general area. And um, notice here that, you know, you've only got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks of price action here. And you can see how much volume is, is holding. The next area is up here uh, in the 550s, 560s. However, what you don't have is you don't have any volume up here. So if this thing really starts to break, and, and especially if it breaks these previous highs here from earnings, um, then you will uh, probably see a pretty big move through this volume gap. Now, this reminds me a lot of uh, 2008, 2009, when I was just trading the crappiest of crap companies that got <laughs> destroyed. But the reason is, is you have these, you have these individual names. And this, this goes back to the, the saying of it's, it's a market of stocks. It's not a stock, uh, stock market. market. Because there are individual names that are performing even today on the long side, even though the market's having trouble on the, uh, you know, staying green. So what happens is you essentially have all this capital that's sitting on the sidelines because they don't want to play the, the overall markets. And that money funnels into these individual names, especially these smaller cap names. I think this is like $850 million. So it's not any, anywhere near a micro cap, but it's definitely a smaller cap name. And, and same thing, right? I'd rather play common stock positions right now than have to deal with, uh, one, you got to deal with the VIX. If you're trading options, you have to look at the VIX. If the VIX is tanking and your stock is like maybe marginally going up, uh, but it's going up, you may be like, if you're trading options and you're playing the long side, let's say the market absolutely rips uh, into the rest of the week and the VIX just tanks. Let's say the VIX has like a negative 20% day. Your stock is really going to have to move up very quickly, kind of like an impulse move. If your stock is just slowly moving up while the VIX is tanking, that's going to hurt your premiums. So um, I personally, there's too many variables going on to play options right now. And I don't have enough time to be day trading, you know, zero today expiration or, you know, uh, two days till expiration um, calls. And, and it's just, you know, if I'm going to trade that type of uh, contract, I'm going to be trading such a small amount of money. It's not worth my time to be distracted with other things uh, by other things. So for me, I'd rather just play common stock trades right now. If I'm going to trade them at all, this is one, as I mentioned, this could easily break down. And that's the thing. This is a huge risk. Um, but after, uh, after some of the common or after some of the options trades I've taken over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, even a common stock drawdown of 10% or 20% is going to be like, uh, you know, 
10 minutes in, in the options market. So um, I'm willing to take this. You do have a bearish pennant forming. So maybe if you did take a long position, you buy some puts or something for downside uh, protection. But the thing I like, though, is just one, you've got the setup. You've got a lot of volume supporting price here. Two, if you look at uh, I use shortsqueeze.com. It's kind of the, the one that I go for for just, you know, where's where's stocks that have a huge percent short uh, of the float. This has a 33.5% uh, short percent of the float as of, I think, February 8th. So, you know, who knows what that is now? But if you think about it, you know, if, if February 8th, this was the week of February 8th, we actually had a, a pretty green uh, start to that week. But if we continue to move down over the last three weeks, that short percent of the float actually may be higher. So if you do have a big move to the upside, um, because there's a, you know, like a Snapchat type of, uh, earnings move or that something yeah. like that, this isn't a huge company. It can happen, especially when you do have a lot of that artificial buying that will have to happen. And what I mean by artificial buying is shorts having to cover they're, 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 Those aren't true buyers. They're not buying the stock because they think it's going to go up. They're buying the stock because they have to get out, um, essentially get liquidated. So that's one that I've got my eye on. It's actually holding relatively well considering, you know, the crazy market right now. MU is another one that I trade pretty often, but at the same time, I cannot, I, I cannot stand even looking to take a trade whenever you gap down into a previous wick. So the weekly candle, obviously it's, we've only uh, been open for like half of a day for the weekly candle, but I, this is like a no touch for me. And even though the monthly mm -hmm. looks good, right? Like look at the monthly, it's, you got a decent ascending triangle set up here. Uh, the question is, what is this monthly candle going to actually close at at the end of the day? Who knows? We could have news in 30 minutes that NATO's about to, you know, start start joining Ukraine. It, it's just so random right now. And if you are trading, you're, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of a gambling mentality you'd probably have to go with right now. Unless, as I mentioned, you're trading the five minute and you're, you're staying very very disciplined with okay five minute rip i'm taking my profits i'm getting out but past that you know five minutes is a long time in, in today's world i mean two days over the weekend look at how much stuff uh happened i know, I know so, man i know so uh, here you know mu is maybe one i'm looking at the monthly but the weekly looks horrible and it's good. It's a good point to make that today is obviously the last day of the month, so we're going to get the close of today is going to be more important than a, than, than a typical close, only because you get monthly candles, and for a lot of longer term minded people, the monthly candles are more important. So maybe um, it's not as, not to say that the close today will be extra volatile, but it'll just have more meaning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and. Just, just from kind of like past experience, and, and this goes on both sides, right? If you gap into a wick, gap down or gap into wick, you are more likely to test at least the bottom of that, that candle's range than you are to, to move up. Same thing here. If we gapped up into this wick up here, I would expect at least a retest of last week's high. Here, since we gapped into the wick below last week's close and even the open, you know, it's just not, it's, it's like playing blackjack. It's just not a high probability hand, you know, for me. So, um, and options, right? Like options are so 
illiquid right now. Even MU, which is generally pretty liquid, just if and, and the thing is, if you're trading like Friday's expiration or next week's expiration or, you know, maybe March's monthly expiration, which is literally in two and a half weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. That's where you can get some liquidity. But one, I mean, those contracts are really cheap. You're going to have to buy a lot of contracts to get any type of decent sized position in there. And then all of a sudden you start looking at the volume to what the size of the position just bought. You're like, holy crap, I'm like 20% of the volume. So there's just not enough liquidity right now for me to be have much conviction on the option side of things. All right, we got a couple minutes left. Let's just do a couple of tickers from the chat. Someone asked about, um, well, you already covered Micron. You want to cover NVIDIA? I mean, you already covered Micron. Yeah, NVIDIA. yeah. they kind of move uh, relatively yeah. similar. Um, yeah, so NVIDIA, I mean, not you know, not a horrible setup here on the weekly. It, it, the thing is, with this market, almost every candle is going to look the same, right? This this hammer looks very similar to SPY, IWM, the Qs. It, it's just the market is moving in, in tandem right now. So if I were to draw like a basic area of resistance that I would look forward to get through, it would just be this uh, zone right here. So you can see here, if we did break above, let's say around 260, let's say just 255 to 260, if we closed above that area, you know, possibly uh, possibly a further break to the upside. Um, but notice here, if we do create a VWAP from this high, uh, which it was in late November, right above that resistance zone, you have this VWAP here right around 270, which if you look at price action, just shown by this, uh, I'll make the arrow bigger so everybody can follow. Um, this has been a very important area to get through. One, two, three, four, five. Five times that we could not break above that, at least in, in December. So this is going to be a pretty crucial area to break above. So on the long side, at least, uh, maybe for a continuation higher, I'd want to see a weekly close over 270. Uh, and then for the short side of things, uh, you know, if you were looking for a breakdown, um, and, and that's the thing, these wicks, these wicks are so big. I mean, it would be really hard for me to even play uh, the, the short side here because you're your trigger technically is way down here at like 208. And by that point, you've already gone from 240 to 208. So if you wanted to maybe do kind of what we did on SPY earlier, this is an area that has had a, a pretty significant meaning. So January 31st, your low from that candle is right around 230. Uh, the week of February 14th, give or take, you know, a dollar is right around 230. Our open last week was right around 230. 230 is a psychological level in general. So if we break 230, that would probably be a trigger uh, on the short side. And then a trigger on the long side um, would probably just be a, a break above uh, this week's high. So notice here, same thing. You've got kind of these general areas that have uh, opened and closed right around 245. 245 is kind of a, you know, a uh, I was, I was going to say an even number. It's not an even number, but it's a whole number, right? 245 is, is an, a level that a lot of people just think of as like, once you break 240, then 245 is probably right. the next increment to look at. So if we broke and closed above 245 on the daily, that'd probably be a trigger to retest this 255 to 260. If we break below 230, then you, know, you may look at uh, a retest of this previous low around 208. All right, Jake Wojastic, uh, co-founder of Trendspider. Guys, the link to Trendspider is in the 
uh, description. You should all. You can also get twenty five percent off with the code that's on the screen. BZ two five. Jake, uh, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week when we have a new monthly candle. Sounds good. Have a good all one, right. guys. All right. Uh, AB. Yes, sir. It is one thirty. You and know what time it is. I, I do. Well, I just told you it's one thirty. But I know I'm saying you know what that time implies. It means it's time for our man, Chris Capri. And uh, before we bring Chris on, I want to note that uh, I do I did put the link to the Benzinga Options Trading School that Chris runs in the description. And I'm going to put it in the chat right now as we speak. Boom. There it is. Check it out. Link in chat, in description, Benzinga Options Trading School with Chris Capri. Where's Chris? Let's go ahead and give him our new special intro. How are we doing today, Chris? Good. I like the new intro. How are we doing? Thank you. Uh, shout out, shout out, Tiny Pie for that one. Um, I did get your note that toward the second half we would like to discuss option liquidity and buying puts. Um, but something came to my attention. I don't know if you were, you were watching when, when Jake was on, but he mentioned that uh, a lot of these candles look similar. The market's kind of trading in tandem. But I noticed, uh, I mean, some names, interestingly, today aren't really performing with the market. Tesla, for example, is up about 7% um, and has even moved higher in the past 30 minutes or so while the queues and while the rest of, of the overall markets have moved lower. Yeah, we could take a look at uh, Tesla. In fact, uh, we'll make that after we look at the normal tickers I want to look at. Let's definitely take a look at Tesla and why. Uh, I, I Let's definitely do have it. information on that for sure. Um, but yeah, um, can I start sharing my screen so we can start taking a look at some things? Yes, sir, you may. All right. Yeah, one second. I just realized that might be dimming it a little bit. And so get more light in the front. All right. Here you go. So. This is about options. I'm the head of Benzing Option School. I want to start off by talking about spies, but more I want to talk about what's going on in the broader market right now. So particularly talking about spies. So we are in what is called negative gamma mode, and we've been in that for a while, but it's important to understand what this means. And I'm going to just give you a brief explanation of it, and then we'll kind of expand the concept. So if you buy a call, and then you sell a call further out of the money, like you're buying an at the money call and you're selling it further out of the money, even though you have one long call and one short call, you actually have a long delta position. You have more positive deltas than you have negative deltas. So you're technically net long options. Now, if you start to think about that and take the perspective of what if I owned all the options in spies? Well, you could then collate and summate that data into am I in a net long options or net shorts options position net long deltas or net short deltas and what's the gamma exposure and when we're in negative gamma mode that means the market is net short options that means it is a put generally a put dominated market there are more puts now like two out of every three options in the markets are puts and so what that does is that creates a situation where volatility is going to be exacerbated up and down and we're seeing that that uh, you know the market's open and had a very strong rip on the open, but then just on the littlest bit of news, they sold off actually faster than they did buy up the same amount. So there's a situation that is kind of like influencing the market right now. 
And it's important to understand that you could see these rips to the upside and be thinking, you know, it could be like, it could be like this. You are watching the market like this. And also you just see it ripping, ripping, ripping. It's like, oh my God, the bottom's in. We got a bottom. Let's start buying. And then, oh, wait a minute. The market's selling off. This is what's going to happen in negative gamma mode. Volatility will be exacerbated to the upside and to the downside. And that's because of option dealer and market making hedging. And so in a negative gamma environment, dealers will trade with the market. So as the market goes up, they'll buy shares in terms of their hedging index. As the market goes down, they'll sell shares. And that pulls liquidity out of the market. So it creates a vulnerability to the markets. And that's what we're seeing in SPIES right now, is that the rally over the last two days, the options positioning doesn't suggest that it was real money buying. It actually suggests that it was mostly long puts that traders had, and that main dealers were short puts. And so to hedge that, dealers had short shares. A lot of those long puts became one delta positions, which means that basically they had hugely sensitive options that if they went up or down, they were matching the value of the stock. And if the market starts rolling back a little bit, those options start losing value fast. So a few days ago when this happened, oh, there was a lot of puts around 420. And when the market gapped down, these puts all became Delta one puts. And because of that situation, that means that they overshot their targets. Traders are going to take profits. And as soon as they see the market ripping, they're like, oh my God, I just lost three, $4 in premium in 20 minutes. So this created a long put unwind, which is creates what is called a Vanna type rally. It's where implied volatility and VIX starts coming down. And the dealer's position actually, because of the hedges starts unwinding where they start buying shares. So this created a two-day rally. This is this day, and this day was a lot less. It was half the rally of the other day while only down 20% less in volume. Now that fuel is out of the markets. And so since the market doesn't have real money buyers coming in, and since option traders are still holding puts, we're not seeing option traders buy calls at enough strikes and enough dates out in time to hold the volume, the market up. And so... That rally is now over and now negative gamma is taking over. And the important thing to understand is that in terms of the options market, when we're in negative gamma, news matters more. When we're in positive gamma, news matters less. And we're in that situation right now. So the situation is incredibly fluid right now. And Jake was saying, hey, you know, he prefers short trading right now, short term trading. I agree with that because the situation is so fluid that the market can rip up you know, four or five points. And you could be thinking, wow, the market's bottomed. And then any weakness in the market gets exposed and it sells off just as fast as it buys up, maybe even faster. And so you want to be quick right now. You do not want to be like looking for long-term exposure because the geopolitical situation can escalate at any point in time. And traders are going to buy more protection if that happens, which means it pushes the market down. So super important that traders just understand this going into this current environment and that they don't feel like any rip up or any rip down means that this is direction is going to hold for four or five days. It's not. The market's incredibly fragile right now from an option positioning, and traders need to understand that. Does that make sense, AB? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Jay Rice in the chat, which you mentioned this, he's, he's asking if you look at put-to-call ratios, which I, I believe the answer to that question is yes. Yes, but I don't examine that directly per se. I'm you know more looking at uh, what is the overall net positioning. 
And so, yeah, that indirectly will give me the put to call ratio, but I don't take my attention and see what's going on the put to call ratio for today and yesterday and things like that. That's important, but one day's put to call ratio is not going to mean as much as the larger flows in the market. I want to know what's going on the overall option positioning in the market. That's going to have more information per se than an individual put call ratio for the day or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, w with this market environment, right, everyone has different goals. Everyone has different strategies. Some people are more traders. Some people are more investors. My thought process, in which I fall more in the, I trade a little bit, but I'm more in the investor um, mm -hmm. side of things. Like most of my money is just sitting in long-term positions. I think right now, if you're not going to take anything off the table in terms of selling stocks and just, rate, you know, going more cash than stocks, Something that I have been considering doing is just buying some like spy monthly puts that are way out of the money that are cheap, but that if they if the market does drop like say ten percent from now in between now and March eighteenth, that I'll be able to recoup some money back from that. Um, just in the off chance something you know shit does hit the fan and something bad happens and and the markets tank, that at least I'm protect, protected to a drastic uh, drop to the downside. Yeah, so we actually, in the boot camp that we had last Saturday, we talked about using options as a hedge. And that's uh -huh. one of the reasons why you'd want to learn options. Because if you are someone like yourself, who's generally a long-only trader and long-only portfolio, and they're holding positions for long periods of time, you might suffer a lot of pullbacks along the way. And those pullbacks right. could be weeks or months. And there's no point in letting your cash or your performance deteriorate just because of one term type of investing, I'm a long-term investor or I'm a short-term trader. If you plan on holding positions, you want to buy insurance if the market's going down. Just like if you live in California, you probably want to own fire insurance because the risk of fire could totally take out and new and just completely, you have no coverage or risk. You have no protection. Completely take out your investment. So I appreciate what Jake was saying, you know, from the from the kind of ethical approach he's saying is like, I don't want to make money on things losing value, but you also have to protect your downside. You know, he buys cars insurance, he buys home insurance. He's doing that because he's buying protection. He wants to protect his investments. And so, yeah, maybe you don't want to make money by getting long puts to the downside, but you still can protect your long only investments. Smart traders do that all the time. Smart investors do that. And so, okay, aside from the ethical reasons, you'd still want to protect your risk. You don't want to leave open-ended risk in the market. We are risk managers first, alpha extractors second. So it's super important that traders, whether they have those you know, ethical uh, viewpoints or not, that they should always still look to, hey, I need to protect my downside. Because at some point, the market will have a downside move that can outsize the size of your account. And then there's no point, you know, you're going to be sitting there going, great, I was ethical, but I blew up my entire account and 10 years worth of gains because I had an ethical position per se. You can have both. And so I think traders need to understand that options are not just a way to make money directionally, they're a way to kind of neutralize risk or reduce that risk. So does that make sense, AB? Yeah, I, I think it does. And, and like you said, I mean, it, it's it's great if you morally say you don't want to profit off of anything going on right now, but at the end of the day, you have to remember the, the markets don't care what's going on or care about your portfolio. You know, like the, the, the prices are going to move how they move. You can either set yourself up to be in a position to um, either profit or not lose as much as you would have had you not done anything. So, exactly. um, you know, I don't see it any differently as insurance, just like just like you put it.
yeah so with that being said um let's talk about you know we've talked about spies um obviously in terms of stocks out there the rsx is incredibly vulnerable right now and you know it's lost a massive amount of value in the last few weeks and just even when the beginning whispers of situation in ukraine came up this started to sell off aggressively you know it was fine and then gap down hey there's tensions over ukraine traders started to de-risk de-neutralize either dump positions and liquidate or buy, buy downside protection since the invasion this thing has lost over half in value in the last two weeks and so while it may be a good investment long term if you think russia is going to rebound and you really like the dividend the bottom line is the short-term risks in rsx right now are insane they're absolutely insane right now traders should expect volatility if russia ends up continuing this thing and the geopolitical and financial pressures increase then you're going to see the ruble devalue even more and other companies start to experience more and more sanctions the economic pain of this will continue to be a problem so short term you kind of have to be bearish on RSX if they're able to exit the situation without much long-term lasting effects, then it might rebound over time and be a great dividend income. But short-term traders should be playing the downside. If they want to play the luck upside, make sure you have instant at the money puts or even in the money puts that are like one Delta so that you, at least if it does go down, you're neutralized in terms of your risk. I mean, realistically, um, this is trading at what? 12, 11 bucks right now. Yeah, it's incredibly, it's the cheapest it's been in, it might even be in history. Yeah, in history since the ETF came out. This is, we are pretty much at the lowest price in history. And so, so realistically, if say, you know, which I hope this happens this week, there's talks, de-escalation, the, the NATO and Ukraine and Russia all come to a deal. Everyone's happy. I mean, does this overnight go back to 20? Like, like what, what would you see happening? So there, there's two things that would you'd have to address to answer that question. The first is if the option positioning, and I can take a look at what the current option positioning is on RSX. Let me look at this real quick. I mean, I, I imagine there are some gamblers out there that are buying some leaps on that, you know, just in hopes that. For sure. Everything, For you sure. Know, because, and honestly, For like sure. speak, you know, if I, that might be interesting because then you're betting on the, that, the world's not going to end. And it's like, if you're right, you're, it's a win-win. If you're wrong, then, you know. Yeah. So this is, this is something I've been thinking about for days now. So prior to today, RSX had about 302,000 calls and about 296,000 puts. The option volume today on RSX alone is literally about 50% of that. Like it's 328,000 options on the day. That's enormous. This is absolutely enormous. 114,000 calls and about 214,000 puts. So two out of every three options is a put. And so if the positioning now starts to align to the bear side, well, let's start thinking about this for a second. So traders, dealers, and then their initial hedging impacts. They have multiple hedging impacts that they have to do, but they have initial ones right off the bat. If dealers are long puts, or if traders are long puts, dealers are short puts. They have to hedge that risk right off the bat. So they do that by shorting shares. So that actually exacerbates the downside. Now, if the market is heavily tilted to the long puts, and then all of a sudden, let's just say they broker a peace deal. Putin's like, hey, we're backing out. We've agreed to deal with Ukraine. We're happy about it. We're de-escalating everything right now. And then the world at the same time says, okay, we agree with this. We think it's good. We're going to remove all the restrictions and, and, and kind of sanctions. Then all that long put exposure is going to flip. And so now... Traders are no longer long puts. Dealers can unwind their short puts and short share hedges. They actually start buying shares on that. 
So then that would create an immediate sort of boost in what's going on in the markets. The problem is, is that some of these sanctions may linger around for a while. And the longer they linger, the more long-term effects that's going to have on the economy. So you probably would, you would see a short-term bounce from the option positioning, which is definitely dominating the flows right now. But then, you know, it would take a little bit for the longer term effects to materialize. So maybe then short-term options to the upside and then start buying some leaps, you know, <laughs> far so out. Not, right. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's the thing. If you're gambling on leaps on this, you're gambling that everything gets resolved. And not only that, that then, you know, uh, the European countries in the U.S. decide, OK, you know, water under the bridge will take these sanctions off. Who knows how likely that is? But I just think that's an interesting, you know, we're talking about all these different plays with everything going on. That's one that is is top of the list. Very interesting. You know, playing RSX. You can look at leaps calls. You can look at short term puts. You can look at a mixture of both. So we'll you have to keep a our call spread. You can buy a call and then neutralize the theta by selling calls further out of the money. You know, so then you're going to neutralize some of the theta out of that, and you're going to neutralize. You'll make this cheaper by selling calls further out of the money. Implied volatility is through the roof on RSX right now, so everything I, is more expensive. So volatility that, will come down for sure. Did you see that Russia over the weekend increased the interest rate on their like bonds to twenty percent or something? Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's just a sign from the central bank that the pressures are escalating. And, Tremendous, and that also puts pressure on you know Vladimir to you know Putin to either find a, a solution or escalate his pressure. You know, it becomes kind of like this gambler's paradox in the sense of like where they're already kind of pot committed in Texas Hold'em, and so it has to be like a win or bust type situation. God, I hope it never gets to that or anything like I that. I think because- we need to. I think we need to send Putin one of your your Zen books on mindfulness and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, it's, I, it, it's a horrible situation, to be honest. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, hopefully this de-escalates soon so that but, you know, I don't like talking politics, but I have to at least understand them enough to understand how is it going to affect my portfolio? How is it going to affect my trades? Because if I don't, then I might be making trading decisions without understanding the consequences of risk to my portfolio. And so it's super important that we understand that. Yeah, and uh, I will remind you, we're uh, a little past halfway. So if we want to get over to s- talk about some uh, option liquidity and, and some uh, buying puts yeah. and, and whatnot. So, I, uh, you know, there were some mentions about option liquidity and things like that. And the, the statistics actually show the opposite, is that option liquidity is at some of the highest points it has throughout the year. Over the last several months, this is just December. I threw out the graphic for January and we don't have data as full or February's collected, but options are accounting for a huge amount of the notional volume in the market as a whole, not just S&P 500, but single stocks as well. Option volumes have been growing while share volumes have been declining. And so that means that actually options are taking a bigger portion of the liquidity pie than ever. And if option contracts keep going up, there's actually not... The, there's illiquidity in stocks that were already illiquid. But for other things right now, for example, SPY, prior to today, SPYs. I mean, look at the RSX. It's done 50% of the total open interest in one day. That's not a reduction in liquidity. That's an increase in liquidity. So SPYs prior to today had about 6.1 million puts and about 11.8 million, or sorry, 6.1 million calls, 11.8 million puts. If we look at SPYs today, 
I'm willing to bet that's a huge number. And keep in mind, this is incredibly elevated for spies. Spies was before the last several months trading at like seven, eight million options, maybe nine, maybe 10. If you're lucky, 11. Now it's doing like 18 million. So the whole thing about liquidity and options being bad, that's just not accurate, actually. Today alone, Spies has done 10.4 million options. In other words, it's done over 55% of the open interest in one day. That's not liquidity. That's not poor liquidity. That's a huge increase in the option flows. And so, you know, it's, I mean, right now the spreads but, but if, are, if, if, are, they're two, three cents wide. That's normal. That's, that's normal. If a maybe, lot of it, maybe it could be one or two, but it's four cents is not like, oh, the liquidity is horrible. If a lot of the volume coming in is on the put side, people may be hedging their positions or just expecting a big drawdown. Um, does that matter in terms of, of liquidity when uh, more contracts are on one side and it's less of a kind of 50 50 balanced even market? It matters in terms of the dealer hedging impacts because the dealing hedging impacts become more imbalanced. And so the dealer hedging impacts are much more kind of say threatening or problematic when there are more long puts than there is long calls. And so that is the problem with negative gamma, because again, we go back to this point right here. If traders are long puts, dealers are short puts, their first hedging. And remember, they have five different forms of hedging activity. Their first hedging activities are short shares that will take liquidity and lower liquidity on the share side that will lower liquidity on the share side, but there's a surplus of options out there right now. So that will influence liquidity on the share side for sure, but it's not going to quite have, it's not like the same impact. It's going to lower liquidity on options in the same way. There's a lot of options right now in the market more than ever. So it's not a question of, uh, there not being enough options, contracts to make trades or get good prices or get filled or anything like that. Liquidity is incredibly high right now in terms of options. But it does affect the liquidity of the market because, again, they are pulling liquidity out of the market by shorting shares. So, yes, that does have an impact just in a different way. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we cover all this in the, uh, you know, the Benzinga Option School. We have an entire lesson dedicated to this where we go over market gamma, negative gamma, dealer hedging impacts and all that stuff. So traders, I post a report for them every single day, Monday through Thursday, that says, hey, here's where we're at. Here's what you should expect. Here's your key levels watch out for this, look out for volatility in this and that. So traders feel like they understand that. So um, do I have enough time to do a ticker real quick? Yeah, of course. We've got about eight minutes left. Sweet. Okay. So I think, and we'll talk, uh, let's talk Etsy and uh, Tesla real quick. Okay. So Etsy had really good earnings, like really, really good earnings. And generally after earnings, you usually see a day of increased volume. You also usually see if the earnings are good enough. Uh, then you'll see sustained buy prices. If it overshoots on the earnings, you see a reversal of some sort, right? Well, it's definitely still experiencing some of this upward drift, but you can see that volumes are now actually lower than the day before earnings. Eventually, this volume is going to peter out. And so it's important to understand that that could have impacts upon Etsy. Now, right now, prior to today, I haven't looked at today's volume, and I could right now, but prior to today, Etsy had about 74,000 calls and about 110,000 puts. So traders are still holding puts in Etsy. And if those puts don't get unwound soon and the volumes don't increase soon and the calls don't increase soon, there may be a little bit of rollback in Etsy before the next leg up. 
So as we know in earnings, generally things can have a bullish hue for a few days, maybe a day, maybe three. But eventually that fuel wears out. Traders move on to something else. You see a pullback and then it becomes a medium term buy if the forward looking earnings are good. And so Etsy might have that kind of situation coming up. So traders might want to look for short term shorts and then medium term longs in it. Now, looking at Tesla, because somebody had mentioned Tesla on this here. And so let me see. here. That was me. I just thought it was interesting. Tesla was trading higher today when a lot of growth. I mean, a lot of tech is up, but intraday tech has kind of sold off. But Tesla never really did. Well, tech has sold off a little bit because of the fact that you got to consider that some of the names in NASDAQ are also in the S&P 500. And so if the S&P 500 has a drag on the day, it will have an impact upon NASDAQ and tech for that matter. Tesla, though, is it's kind of seeing that typical Monday call volume. So on weeks where Tesla tends to be bullish and close bullish, you usually see a rush of calls come in on the Monday and they're usually weekly expiries. So Tesla is now becoming, you know, that thing where there's a lot more short term day trading in Tesla's. And so traders tend to, if the circumstances are good, they will start buying a lot of, you know, long calls on Monday. And then if they make their money, they start closing on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's what we're seeing right now. Tesla's prior to today, option volumes have been coming down in Tesla for weeks now. Um, prior to today, 1.9 million calls and 1.9 million puts, almost even money, basically in terms of calls and puts. Today, though, 1.2 million calls and 800, roughly 800,000 puts. So 12 out of every 20 options have been calls. So it was balanced and now it's skewed. And so that's obviously skewed the upside. Share volume is decent. It's right now at the 10-day average. So that's solid. It's not gangster, but it's solid. But I'm willing to bet that this is hugely dependent upon uh, like short-dated calls you know, kind of entering the market. And keep in mind, short-dated at-the-money calls have the highest rate of gamma change. So that changes the short-term hedging impacts by dealers. So it's super important traders understand that in terms of how that affects flows on a day-by-day basis. Got it. Okay, uh, let's see, just a couple of comments. Um, Cypher, DMG, Benzinga Option School is awesome. I'm part of the program has changed my trinker. I'm glad to hear that, Cypher. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Yeah, link uh, should be in the description for everyone to go check it out. You have no reason not to. Uh, you know, we, we're lucky enough to get Chris on the show once a week every Monday, but if you want Chris's insights every single day, make sure to go sign up for the Benzinga Option School. Um, looks like MD wants to look at Zoom. I haven't checked out Zoom in a while. I haven't either. So what's interesting is that um, Zoom, you know, when the pandemic started, you know, over a short period of time, it gained like almost 500 percent. And it should have in the sense of part of that was due to speculation, but part of it was the entire global economy was shifting to online. But now that we're a few years past that situation, those stocks that had both a boost from COVID and a huge speculative boost that speculative boost is no longer there. So they're kind of returning back to earth to some degree. Meanwhile, like Hilton, if you think about that, Hilton hotels, they had taken like a 40% hit when COVID hit. And now since COVID hit, they're actually up 33%. They're actually up higher than Zoom percentage wise, because now that the market has returned back to normal, the real things are starting to matter a little bit, at least in terms of COVID, the market has returned much more back to normal. And so things are much more back down to earth. Valuations are starting to matter. Business models are starting to matter. Profitability is starting to matter more than ever. Go figure. Eventually that does catch up. So in terms of Zoom, let's take a look at this. 
But prior to today, Zoom had about 331,000 calls and it had about 312,000 puts. On the day, it's actually a solid day in terms of options volume. Um, so you're talking 650,000 options. Today alone, it's done 166. So again, the liquidity thing is not, it, it's kind of overstated in the sense of there's a lot more trading now than ever. Options volume is the biggest, is generally one of the biggest movers of price action right now than anything else. If share volumes of dying options is up, it's more of an impact. With that being said, I'm not seeing a whole lot of short-term options in Zoom. In other words, the majority of positioning, if you were to collate that, like if you owned all the options in Zoom, you would be able to see, do I have more short-term, medium-term, long-term? You would see where it's all collated. More of it's collated to like the March 18th expiry. So because of that, theta, volatility, gamma impacts are much more smoothed out. And that means that it smooths out the hedging impacts for dealers as well. So I'm not seeing anything short-term that's kind of yanking at it one way or another. But Zoom is kind of in a situation where if it can stay above, you know, 135, then the dealer hedging impacts become favorable until it gets about maybe 150, 155. And then dealers actually start hedging against it. So let's look at that on the chart. Let's mark it. And let's see if that makes sense technically. Yeah, it's, you and know. Just got a note, uh, Zoom does report earnings today. MD saying in the oh. chat. I'll, I'll double oh, check yeah. that real quick. Yeah, right so, there, um, tomorrow. Tomorrow. So absent earnings, if earnings didn't exist, Zoom would probably start to experience resistance and hedging impacts between 147 and say 156. However, after earnings, it could obviously have a material impact upon positioning and changes and things like that. You are seeing a volume buildup going into earnings. So that could be both stock share volumes and option volumes that are influencing that. So it could have a pretty volatile, uh, you know, post earnings session tomorrow. I'm not sure if it's before or after market. Um, uh, it is t today after market. Today after market. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then, yeah. So then uh, this, the next day or two, for Zoom should be pretty volatile. You should expect volatility to be pretty solid and then a fair amount of options come off the board. Yeah. yeah. Got it. All right, well, it is 2 o'clock. That does mean we have to wrap. Chris Capri, thank you again for coming on the show. You can get more from him by signing up for the Benzinga options course. Link should be in the description. Chris, thank you again. Have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Cheers. Cheers. All right, y'all. Coming up now, we have... Moon or bust with our crypto experts, Ryan and Logan. Going to hand it off to them. Ryan, what are you guys talking about today? Polkadot, Polkadot Pixelmon, Pixelmon and, Parallel and Parallel Finance. So if you want to learn more about the wonderful, wonderful world that is crypto, make sure to hang around. This video will automatically redirect you to Moon or bust. So stay tuned. And don't you don't dare going anywhere. No other YouTube channels, no other TV channels. Just stay right here. We'll be back tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, as we often are. This is Ben's. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.